All aboard this episode of View the Right Thing. On this installment, Wes and Steve hitch a ride with a review of Sullivan's Travels. Then they jump ship to 1935's Mutiny on the Bounty. Get ready. It's time for View the Right Thing. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode Indiana of... Indiana Jaws. Uh, the right thing. Are you sure? I'm 100%. I remember when we voted, I thought Indiana Jaws was the clear winner. This is, you're never going to stop doing this, are you? <laughs> never, ever. Wes, who's joining us in the studio today? Uh, we have my beautiful wife, <gasps> Desiree Weitzenhofer, oh. and... Her canine companion. Hopefully, it will stay quiet. Walt. Yeah. So Walt's Walt's with us. Hopefully, he'll uh, chill out and not be too noisy. If uh, the listeners, our viewsters, hear some barking, that'd be Walt. Yep. And definitely not me. He's gonna be. He's gonna be totally good. Okay. He's gonna be a good dog. I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure. We'll see. I'm willing to bet a lot of view the right thing listeners are fans of. All creatures, great and small, so they probably won't mind if they hear a cute little dog bark once in a while. I mean, we don't know for sure, though. They might, but they I said I'd animals. bet on it. I'll bet you a dollar. If they hate animals, all of them, then they can stop listening to this podcast. Whoa! <laughs> wow! I we will take wow. listeners, all listeners. We don't discriminate against listeners. But if you hate animals, we're going to make you love animals. Because today we're reviewing Milo and Otis, and oh no, not, not those, true. not that movie. And if she keeps it up, and babe, this will be the last episode we feature Desiree Weiss. Mm, I'm caught in the middle of a, a lover's quarrel podcast right now. <laughs> yeah, you're right in between us. And I like it. All right. What do we do on View the Right Thing? Uh, you tell me. Oh, so View the Right Thing is a uh, show that sort of acts as a book club, but for movies. So today we're going to discuss two movies. Then at the end of this episode, we're going to pick two new movies. You go out and watch those movies or watch them in the comfort of your own home because most of them are on home video. And then in about two weeks, we're going to record a new episode where we talk about those two movies that you've already seen and you get to enjoy. And there are no spoilers because you've seen it. Yay, no spoilers because you've seen it. So today, if you haven't watched Mutiny on the Bounty and Sullivan's Travels, get ready for spoilers. Yeah. Or pause. Pause, watch, watch, and come back. Yeah. Uh, And at at the end of the episode, we have uh, a special thing that we're going to do for next month. Our our four films next month are going to be special. Next month's just December. What's special about December? Well, we'll talk about that when we get to the end of the episode, maybe. Okay, let's see. I'm going to be in suspense for the whole time. I know. I'm very excited about it. Winter starts. The fiscal year ends. Hmm. What else? (laughs) Well... Let's find out at the end of the episode. Uh, okay. Steve. Yeah? Let's briefly uh, just go over real quick. Have you seen any movies in the theater? Let's, in the theater. Let's pick one. If you've seen more than one, let's pick one film in the theater. Well, what if I've seen a movie that's in theaters? But you saw it at home because you are a fancy screener? Shh. Okay, you go for it. What's in theaters that you saw? I just watched Creed last night. That's the movie that I have on my <laughs> list. <laughs> yeah. We went and saw that. What do you think? I enjoyed it a lot. I um, loved it. Yeah, I, I I don't really have many complaints at all. Mm-hmm. I, I yeah, it was just a it was a fun, you know. It's it's Rocky Seven, but it's Apollo. It's Adonis Creed, Adonis Creed. One. Adonis Johnson Creed. Do you think they'll make a sequel? Absolutely. Yeah. I think they probably will. I think they probably will. I um, uh, well, remember, let's try it. We'll try to keep it spoiler free since uh, 
since Desiree is a okay. new, newcomer. I just wanted to just put that out before she started spoiling the movie. Because <laughs> you know me, I'm always spoiling movies for everybody. Hey, think about this. Creed? Mm-hmm. Right there. Oh, on my TV? Possible. Well, yeah. Yeah, I'd watch it again. Um, Whoa, dude! I thought I thought it was I thought it was really really well made. I thought it was very intense, especially the last twenty minutes of the film. Yeah, was and and I remember there was a moment um, where they sort of had like a little bit of a scene break in that last twenty minutes. And I leaned over to Desi and I was like, "That is how you make a movie." A little bit of a scene break. Yeah, oh, we, I think I know what you're talking yeah, about. We can, we can discuss it later. I think I yeah. know what you're talking about, and I love the very opening scene too. The the, uh, the kid? yeah, like the, just yeah. the the the. The spot that they chose to start the movie on was was a pretty cool. It's interesting because pretty cool moment. Uh, we went with our roommate Chris, and and one of his complaints was actually some of that stuff at the beginning, where he said he felt like we were kind of coming into the middle of a conversation and we didn't get enough background. And I see what he means by that. I kind of liked it. Yeah, I liked it too. I, yeah. I think I can see what he means, but I also felt like it wasn't entirely necessary. Yeah, I, I felt like it was enough background to get us to the part. Of the movie we wanted to be watching. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's hard to talk about without spoiling it. Man, you guys hear that? Is there besides Walt? There's an ice cream truck outside, and I bet that's what he is yeah. upset about. Oh, Walt! Upset. Don't be upset about ice cream trucks, Walt. They have deliciousness inside. Mmm, but not for. Uh, it's bad for doggies. Probably. You know, but you know. I feel like I saw something else in theaters. Oh, I finally got around to watching the Star Wars newest trailer because I, I still have not. i'd already seen it inadvertently at disneyland's path of the jedi yeah. so i finally watched that i finally watched the captain america civil war trailer not watching it i just plain caved last night i'll watch it and enjoyed it thoroughly yeah i was planning to do that and i was like i think i'm just gonna watch it for free right now at 3 a.m because i'm jones and for it man <laughs> gonna get my captain steve rogers fix man yeah um but I liked it a lot. I'm very excited. It looks like it's going to be rather intense. Yeah. Um, Midnight Sun makes an appearance in it. The Marvel. Don't talk about it. I don't want super to know. Villain Midnight Sun. Spoilers. I'm kidding. He's not oh. at all. Mar- <laughs> I think Midnight Sun. Midnight Sun is my go-to joke character. He yeah. he was in Marvel Comics for maybe two issues of mm-hmm. something one day, but he's purple and he flies around in space with discs that are on his hands and feet. Cool. And he wears a fedora. And a cape. Well, who wears a fedora? He's and then other than that, he's awesome. purple nude. Ooh, oh boy. Um, I just want to comment that I thought it was really interesting choice in Creed to yeah. put Michael B. Jordan in Nike Michael Jordan brand oh, yeah. attire for the entire yeah. movie. They did, didn't they? <laughs> yeah. I didn't even put that together. <laughs> oh, that is funny. I think that's sort of like just more of a um, a comment on the times and sports that we live in like everything's branded anyways right yeah yeah, yeah definitely i just thought it, it's funny that is that's and why not that's very funny why not go jordan's put yeah, michael right. b jordan and all of michael jordan's clothing and accessories yeah except for those boxing gloves i don't think air jordan makes boxing gloves no. probably not no. but like all his like workout clothes yeah and then oh how about the package delivered to the dressing room at the end don't yeah, talk yeah, don't about, about it, it. Just man, <laughs> wasn't that cool i was gonna say i was just about to say that uh there were a couple moments i, I teared up a little yeah yeah that was one yeah, of those moments yeah somebody sends him a flashlight while he's uh in his dressing room <laughs> it's pretty <laughs> it's pretty weird but it's great all right so let's move off of theatrical films spent way too much time talking about it probably this is true last episode we went insane and our 
Pre- well, you know, it was pre-Thanksgiving, and uh, we were we were getting we had turkey jitters pre-Thanksgiving. Yeah, pre-turkey jitters, man. When was our last episode? Two weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, that reminds me. We're gonna have to bump December. We're gonna have to tighten it up because I fly out of town on the twenty-first. That's all right. I fly out of town on the twenty-fifth. Yep. Rock and roll. Yeah. So we're well. We'll figure it out. Listener, you needed to know that. Yeah. I, I blame myself for that divergence there. Divergent? Isn't there a new Divergent movie? Yeah, it's in called the Legion, but we don't need to get into that right now. We need <laughs> I'm going to watch that. I'm going to go watch that right after this. <laughs> All right. Do you have that? You don't have that screener. That's not an No, no. I mean, I'm thing. just going to go spend my money at the theater it's for not yet. Shailene. Allegiant, oh, Allegiant I'll find a way. All right. I'll find a way, Shailene. <laughs> so Sullivan's Travels. Yes. Let's bust into Sullivan's Travels. One of my, my favorite films. I like it a lot. It's a pretty enjoyable flick. Should I mention the coffee countdown right now? Sure. I came over to watch Sullivan's Travels. I was on very little sleep, but I was on a whole lot of coffee. But I started dozing off in the first five minutes. I don't blame the movie. I blame myself. You say that every time. It still happened. So we, I think we need to find a way to like get you some more sleep before we watch movies. I try. Last night I was in bed by like 11 p.m., but I was awake till like 3. Hmm. Just laying there. And then about one, I decided to, to watch to TV you. on my... What? You need me come over and sing to you? I mean, you could probably do it over the phone. I'll give you nightmares. <laughs> it's worth the risk. All right. So the film opens with a train barreling through the night. Yeah. So there's two men. They're fighting <gasps> on top of the train. And they, like, roll and fight. They end up, like, rolling off of the train car in between the two train cars. Oh, no. And they kind of, like, fight kind of in between train cars and kind of underneath it. And then they clamber back up on top. And uh, one guy gets the drop on the other. And he pulls out a gun and he shoots him. No. And the guy that gets shot, the dying man, grabs the man who shot him. And they topple over the edge into a river below. And then the words, the end, come into frame. But it's only been, like, two minutes. Yeah, I know. That's credits roll. Shortest podcast ever. It Bye. was amazing. Best movie. Best so, movie ever. Uh, it turns out that there are three men watching a film okay. in a screening room. All right. And our, our man, Sullivan, John L. Sullivan, gets up and he explains sort of the drama and the seriousness of what they just watched. And he's basically trying to convince them that um, he he needs to tell, um, well, that the plight of man needs yeah. to be realized on film. The, the true plight of man. Not just this action-y stuff. And their argument is that you have no idea about the plight of man, well, John yes. Sullivan. So he, he wants to make a film called... Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? Which, if that mm. title sounds familiar, it's because the Coen brothers um, got their title from this film. Mm-hmm. Which their film is also about a man on a journey. You could say that again. Well, and there's <laughs> they, they have some homages from this film, like the kid in the in the little car. and Yeah. Uh, so, but the, the studio executives, they want him to make another comedy. That Uh-oh. seems like all he ever gets to make. Uh, he made a, a apparently a very famous film called... Ants in your plants. <laughs> repeat that again. Ants in your plants. I would watch that. Excellent title. Yeah. So anyways, he continues to argue for the depiction of the suffering of humanity. And the studio execs, um, he continues to add, with a little sex in it. Hey, Walt. Walt hey, loves Walt. the little sex idea. Oh, my goodness. Um, to which Sullivan agrees. So every time he sort of starts talking about it, the exec is like, with a little sex. With a little sex. With a little sex. I, what I liked about the scene was um, 
Sullivan comes off as like very demanding. He, he definitely seems like a a film director. There's there's a an air of he he wants what he wants and he's gonna get it. Yeah. Um, Which a director needs to have. So he's kind of he's kind of like closed off and demanding, um, and uh, but at the same time he's sort of trying to do something noble. I think. Sure. And but at the same time, every time they say with well, a little sex in it, he agrees. Like it's like, well, of course they're gonna have some sex in it. Yeah. Obviously. He knows that that's what puts the butts in the seats. So he knows he knows who he is, and you know, but he really does want to make I think a moving film. I think he he's genuine about that. Yeah. Good old John Sullivan. Is it John Sullivan or George? John Sullivan? L. Sullivan. John L. Way Sullivan. Yeah, L. Way. So he's he's super set on making this film about hardship, and they sort of challenge him and ask him what hardships he's been through, sort of what you alluded to. And uh, one of the execs says that he, you know, he started out by you know opening a shooting range. Um, opening a shooting in his range. in his early twenties. He was like, "What were you doing in your early 20s? And He was like, "Well, I was in college." And the other guy, I can't remember what the other guy says. He's like, uh, they have a lot of really. Uh, I used to walk twenty miles to to do this when I was thirteen. Where were you when you were thirteen? He was yeah. like, I was in boarding school. Right. So clearly, he's sort of been raised the silver spoon in his mouth. Yeah. The one guy says he was selling newspaper on the street till yeah. he was twenty five and all that. Yeah. And then they shortly reveal that they were making it all up after Sullivan leaves the well, office. Well, one guy said, "Oh, I did open a shooting range." He's like, "Yeah, but with your father in law's money." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> open a shooting range. There's an idea. So essentially, he's been poor. And so, like, what does he know about the plight of the poor? Because he's never been poor. Right. Right. And he realizes that they're right. So he decides to go to wardrobe, have them fit with, essentially, hobo wardrobe. That's what they called the homeless back then. And he's going to spend time living among the poor. So he's going to start with ragged clothes and ten cents in his pocket. Ten cents. and Which is not a lot of money, but it's... Walt hates it. It's, uh... Ten yeah, cents, he's, Walt. He's staring at us. He, you know, he decides he's going to do it. They think he's crazy, but he's going to do it anyways. Now, that scene where they get up from the screening room, they go, they walk into the office and they have this whole conversation. There's something really interesting about this scene. Do you know what it is? I was probably asleep. Uh, I don't think I was asleep that early, but I was asleep pretty early. So that was 10 pages of dialogue. Yeah. It was scheduled for two days of shooting. The cinematographer... Challenge Preston Sturgis, the director. Yeah. He's like, I bet you couldn't do it in a take. Cool. So so Preston Sturgis goes about devising like ways to cut out shots. They ended up shooting that scene in one shot pretty much. They had to do more than one take because the first take, the um the camera on the tracks wobbled a little, so they needed oh. a better a better take of it. Alright. Um but they did it all in one shot and this two day ordeal they were done by 11 a.m. on the first day. That's incredible. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So by lunchtime, they were they were done. They they got to take some time off. Wow. I might have to look that scene up and do it in an acting class or something because it's a it's a fun conversation. Yeah, I've heard I've heard that it it took them about once they were set up that it took them about 30 minutes to shoot it and they were done. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah, for 10 pages of dialogue. Way to go, dudes. It's and it's interesting too because it's 10 pages of dialogue. It's only like four and a half minutes long. Right. So they really... Huh. They're fast back then, Yeah, back then they really just whipped through it. So Sullivan goes home Way to, to go practice Sturgis. his poor person walk. Yeah. Uh, and he's like trying on the tattered clothes, different jackets, different hats, that kind of thing. 
Uh, Of course, he has two butlers. Uh Uh-huh. Sullivan gets a call from his wife, who he only married because of the tax incentive. Ooh. And because it's the 15th, she wants her money. Oh, dang, Mrs. Sullivan. And she demands $2,400 a month from him. It used to be 1200 but she ran away with his business manager, who's the one who convinced him to get married in the first place. Whoa. And he takes some of the money, too. So it's 24 instead of 1200 He needs to have her murdered. Whoa. That's a different, <laughs> different movie, movie, though. Yeah. <laughs> that's uh, Maybe a little that's double indemnity. It's double indemnity. So, anyway, Sullivan can't stand the woman. They obviously don't live together. Um, and he's just frustrated by the whole situation. Poor Sullivan. Now, the other butler comes in, Burroughs. I remember getting his name, Burroughs. And he explains that he doesn't like the outfit that Sullivan is wearing. And he says it feels like um, he doesn't like it when they caricature the poor and the needy. Oh, yeah. And I think he thinks it's it's something for a role. Uh, Sullivan explains about the film and what he's going to do for research. And Burroughs um, delivers this, this quote that I really liked. I wrote it down. He says, it's not very interesting because the poor already know about poverty. And mm. only the morbid rich would find the topic glamorous. Wow. The wisdom of a butler. Yeah. Uh, he, he basically gives Sullivan the info he needs to discover what's important in this film. So he, at the beginning of the film, they kind of, they kind of, uh, they're a little brave with it. And they kind of give you the, the moral right at the beginning of the film. I like so, that. So, um, actor Michael McKean is a filmmaker. Yeah. Um, he, he said of this scene, you can try tennis, but you can't try starvation. Ooh, ain't that the truth? Which is yeah. which is essentially what the the butler is, what Burroughs is trying to get across to him. Yeah. So the executives show up at his house along with a publicity guy, and they tell him that if he's going on the road, they're going to follow along and take photos, but they'll keep a moderate distance. They say, and they're going to do this in a big decked out bus, <laughs> right, a right. land it's yacht. Like, yeah, land yacht. It's like tricked out. That sounds super discreet. Yeah. <laughs> So Sullivan basically he reluctantly agrees to do it because he wants to make this movie for insurance purposes. If he ever like needs to back out or for whatever reason, they've sewn an ID card into his shoe. The oh right, his shoe. Uh, so Sullivan agrees, and they go on the road, and the caravan drives behind him at a snail's pace, about thirty feet behind him. Yeah, <laughs> which would drive me crazy. If Super I were on not that obvious thing. at all. Yeah, it's got it's got. The publicity guy. It's got an insurance person. It's got a radio guy to radio back to the studio. Yeah. It's got uh, a, a silly cook in kind there. Of a, kind of a health spa. Yeah. A, a, a doctor. Yep. A journalist and his uh, assistant. With yeah. the bloomers. With the bloomers. Yeah. So as he's walking, this kid drives up in this kind of custom, like powerful, like go kart thing. Oh yeah. It's the size of a car. I mean, the tires are like real car tires. Yeah. But it, the thing's got the get up and go of a, of a little go kart. Sounds kind of like a go kart too. Um, got to build one of those. And the kid offers Sullivan a ride and, and they speed off and the bus tra- does its best to keep up. The kid goes over jumps. It goes around like tight corners through puddles off road. And the bus just does all the same things. Goes off the same little jumps and, and things like that. Of course, like they, the precursor to speed. Yeah, sure. Right. They, exactly <laughs> like that. Along the way, they also attract a cop who gets, ends up having to go through a mud puddle. And before he wipes the mud off, the go-kart and the bus take a turn. So by the time the the cop wipes the mud off of his face, yeah. he goes the wrong direction. So nice. they lose the cop, essentially. 
So eventually the kid stops in a field near a dirt road, and Sullivan gets out and thinks the kid, and the kid has to go, go to school. Sounds like school. <laughs> in his car. In his little car. So uh, Sullivan walks over to the stopped bus. The bus is also stopped in the same field, and everybody kind of like falls out of the bus, and they're all completely disheveled. And there's this whole thing with, um, as they're, they're on this journey following this kid, they're falling all over the bus and the blinds are falling off and they're getting caught up in things and the, the cooks in the kitchen and everything like the oven falls open and hits him in the head and he ends up on top of the sink. His head goes through the roof at one point with his oh little gosh. dangling and, uh, and his face ends up in the pancake batter at yeah, one point. And delicious. I thought that's interesting that they sort of white faced the black guy, the cook is a black guy. Um, one of the few, like sort of really um, uh, f- black actors that's actually focused on in the film. Yeah. Um, and they, they kind of like knocked them all around. I thought that was kind of interesting. Mm. Later, there's another scene um, where a black actor actually gets to speak and it's actually one of the most poignant scenes of the film. So it's kind of interesting that they're, the film is sort of bookended that way. But Yeah, well, and I feel like the, this the cook is clearly a comedic actor like yeah it's very slapstick he's mugging his he movie. knows what yeah. he's doing like you know yeah as long as it was his choice to get knocked all around <laughs> I don't think although i imagine choice, it was in the script yeah. too so sullivan tells the people that he's going to go um he's going to keep going and he's going to go without them following him if they want to go ahead to vegas and meet him there in like a week or a month or something then they can just wait and be happy and not have to worry about following him and they get photos when he gets there. I feel like trying to hobo it to Vegas is a real dangerous idea. I you mean, like through the desert? Yeah, four, yeah. four hour car ride on by foot is obviously going to be a lot longer and through the desert is going to yeah. be quite... I mean, it depends. And not a, I don't not? think there's a ton well, of... Well, Why not San Francisco or yeah. San Diego? That, I think that would I think that's be a shorter trip. I think they picked Vegas because that was what what was the direction they were they happened to be heading at that moment. Oh, okay. Well, and I think like there's there can't have been much in between LA and Las Vegas back then. Like I, th- I think you guys are focusing on the wrong thing. All right. <laughs> I'm just saying it's a bad idea, kids. If you're gonna hobo somewhere, don't go. Don't hobo to Vegas. Sure. Don't hobo. <laughs> don't also yeah. Don't hobo around. Don't be a transient, kids. Right. So he basically tells them they don't want more hijinks like that. They and they, you know, they know what's best. They should they should go ahead. So they do. So he goes on to this little farmhouse up the road. And little he, farmhouse. He does manual labor for this widow and her sister. Not only does the widow make him cut wood, but oh. she makes him get dressed up in her dead husband's clothes Ew. and go to the movies with her. Oh, um, she has an eye on him. She is. Oh, definitely. She wants the hookup. Whoa. I think that's pretty obvious from the first scene she's in. She's looking for a little comfort, if you know what I mean. A little hobo comfort. So, at the movies, I thought something kind of interesting happens. Uh, because I, I feel like I've almost every time I go to the movies, I'm in this situation. He, It's clear he's never watched a movie with the, the masses before. Yeah. But the general public. But there is a constant distraction at the movie theater. There's little kids chewing popcorn over his shoulder. There's another child that's, like, blowing a whistle constantly, just, like, sort of absentmindedly. He's got it stuck in his mouth. It's, like, every time he breathes, it whistles. <laughs> There's, like, a hiccuping man to two people over from him that's eating peanuts. 
uh, the widow's sister like is unwrapping hard candy and eating that. Hmm. Um, and it's just like, like, uh, for him, I think a failure of common courtesy, like this, this, he knows what went into to making the film, right? You know, and right. that it's his livelihood. It's it's what what he does for a living, and so like you know, it like feels a little bit like a like a disrespect, and um, and people aren't getting the most out of it if there's all these distractions. Yeah. So, but, and and he, I think he's also failing to to recognize something. Now, this takes place during the depression, and there wasn't a lot of um, a lot of things that people could do to a distract themselves and. And B, a lot of things they could do that was affordable, but going right. to the movies was affordable. And uh, which is why there were like so many poor little kids sitting behind him and stuff. Yep. You could take a lot of people to the theater for very cheap at the time. And, um. Oh, it happened in 2008, too, when the economy crashed. They said the movie theater ticket sales boom. were climbing yeah. because so many people were laid off. Yeah. I think, I think he, because he's. The character is. Uh, well off, yeah. He doesn't, and and he probably watches most of his movies through the studio experience. Yup. Um, he he doesn't understand why, you know, there's all these kids and all these people and sort of unsophisticated people doing this. So um, you're learning, aren't you, Sullivan? So that's, that's you're sort learning. of an interesting example. Then we we find out exactly how long his night is. Uh, there's a sign outside the theater that we see that shows that it's three features in a short. Nice. So he's probably in that theater for four or five hours. At least, yeah. Yeah, sounds all right. I mean, it sounds all right by our, but he was tortured by the situation. So they go back I to guess the, so. They go back to the house, and the widow shows him to his room. And turns down his bed for him because she, she sort of insinuates that's woman's work. Yeah. Well, and this is after she's put his put her, her hand. hand on his leg during the movie. During the movie. All right. She, she's clearly making moves. So he's essentially living in nice clothes in a nice house. With a woman who wants him. Yeah. Which is not the experience he was going for. Nope. Uh, not only does he not want to have to be obligated to this woman, it's it's sort of putting him back where he belongs. Like, yeah. he's clothes in a nice house with, with women and whatnot. So, um, there's a... When she's turning down the bed for him, there's a, a really great gag where they, the painting of the husband is in the room up on the wall. All right. And we see it several times in the scenes prior to this. And then... Um, as she's talking to him and sort of flirting with him and turning his bed down, the painting of the husband changes and he's like kind of squinting, like <laughs> like looking um, with indifference or like, or he's he's indifferent and then it goes to like the squinting irritation. Yeah. That the, the picture has. Like I'm making a move on my wife, eh? Yeah, but that was kind of funny. So basically the picture's haunted. The picture's haunted. So Sullivan tries to get out of the house, but his his door is locked from the outside. We see the, the sister or the widow and the sister, they lock the door. Um, from the hallway. That is creepy. So there's an adjoining bathroom that right. also adjoins to the widow's room. So yeah. he goes into the bathroom and tries the door on the opposite side, and the widow is there, and she is clearly waiting for him. She's positioned, she's, quote, reading a book, um, but she is positioned, like, sitting up perfectly with her, like, nightgown on. There's no covers on her. And there, she's like, you know, holding the book in a way that people wouldn't read a book, and Uh-oh. she's clearly got her hair done and her makeup on and stuff. Yeah, she's she's very posed. She's, yeah, she's in a frisky mood, that widow. So he quickly closes the door and he looks for a different way out. So what he does is he ties the bed sheets together and and climbs out the window like oh man, old school Hollywood gag. 
So he, as he's climbing down, the sheets start to rip, <gasps> and he falls into a rain barrel and gets completely soaking wet. He gets his, and he gets his pants caught on a nail on the way down, too. Yeah. That's no way to fall. So he thumbs uh, he thumbs a ride on the road, and a man transporting pigs, right? He's transporting pigs, I think. Pigs yeah. sounds familiar. Yeah. I, I wasn't, I'm not sure if I was totally clear what he was transporting. It, sound, it sounded like they were pigs, but probably, we never see yeah. any of the pigs. So uh, he picks them up, and he's like, you know, you can sleep in the back. I'm not supposed to pick up people. So they drive off. The man wakes him up in the morning, and Sullivan asks him, where are we? And the man tells him, Hollywood. <laughs> you made it to Hollywood, kid. He's like, maybe you'll see some movie stars or somebody famous. <laughs> So, kind of exasperated, Sullivan walks into this diner that's that's kind of next to where they stop. Oh, yeah. And he asks for some coffee and a donut. And uh, there's this beautiful blonde. Veronica Lake. Veronica Lake. Standing near a window. And she buys him some ham and eggs, too. And they, they sit and they talk. First, he kind of refuses, but she insists. Yep. And she's, she's a failed actress. She's kind of hard on her luck. She's really dressed up. It's early in the morning, clearly, like, from a night before kind of situation. And uh, and she's upset, and she just can't make it in the industry. She can't get introduced to the right people. She wants to meet this uh, this famous director, Lubitsch. Lubitsch. Who, who was uh, a, a real director. Um, he headed Paramount for a long time, and he, um, I think he worked with the director, Preston Sturgis, quite a bit. Preston Sturgis was sort of like, I don't know if I want to say Lubitsch was his mentor, but I think kind of Preston Sturgis was taken under his wing and had a lot of reverence for him. All so. right. Maybe like a Spielberg Abrams situation. Yeah, or, or you know, you could argue maybe like a. But I won't a argue. Cop- a uh, Francis Ford Coppola Spielberg oh. kind of mentorship. I won't argue though, Wes. Okay, let's not. Don't try to bait me into it. Okay. <laughs> Do not. I'm sorry. So they, you know, they they sit down and talk, and she talks about how she just can't get the, these introductions or whatever, and yeah, and she's going to go home. She sort of implies maybe Midwest or East Coast. She doesn't ever ever really say. She, at one point, she says Chicago is halfway, and I'm thinking Chicago's not where she live, like in the middle of the Atlantic. Yeah, Chicago is <laughs> halfway. Well, it's halfway in quotes. Yeah. So, and I guess too, if you if you were then going to continue traveling north. Yeah, like, I guess maybe so the she's coast like, and then north. Yeah, she's maybe she lives on like the farthest northern eastern tip of Maine, Maine or something. Yeah. Okay. So she's she's convinced she's got to go home, and he sort of he kind of goes, you know, I have this friend who's a director, yeah, and he could probably help you out if you want to just like hang out a little bit longer, like tough it out a little bit longer, uh, maybe in a couple months when he gets back into town, he can he can help you. She's like, no, 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 and uh, he eventually says, uh, she says she just wants to go home, and he's like, well, maybe I can at least give you a ride to the train station or, or wherever um, in, in exchange for you buying me these, these ham and eggs and she's like well how are you going to give me a ride he's like well my friend the director he uh, he has a car so you wait here and I'll go get the car he's kind of like he won't mind if I borrow it yeah so I feel like he's talking about himself yeah, that's yes. very <laughs> <laughs> so he goes and gets the car and picks her up and on the way they discuss his director friend and his films now she did not like Ants in Your Plants no. uh oh but she did like one of his other films, and she she discusses a scene that she liked, and she quotes the film. And Sullivan seems kind of exasperated by it because they're they're comedies. Yeah, and he's it's almost like he's embarrassed by them. Hmm. 
But the blonde seems to remember the films with a lot of fondness. And she has this big grin on her face when she's thinking back about them. So to, sh- to show that, that his films did bring people happiness. Do you, Steve, Yeah. know what the girl's name is in the film? Wasn't she credited as just the dame? The girl. She's the girl. The girl. She has no name. She has no name. Wow. Which is a little bit offensive. She spends a lot of time on screen in this movie. They gave yes. her no name yeah. whatsoever. Her name is the girl. And it's funny, too, because I didn't notice that she didn't have a name. Right. But until Wes mentioned it, and then I was like, what? Oh, my Maybe gosh. Maybe she is the grandmother of Ed Norton's character in Fight Club. Maybe. It's just the narrator. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So, the girl, played by Veronica Lake. You yeah. Know, what's, what is Veronica Lake famous for? I don't care. <laughs> Um, what is her you most famous it. big role? Well, I didn't Lake. say role. Oh. What is she known for? She invented... <laughs> she murdered... No. The... no. No. She rescued a young baby that grew up to be... You're wrong, but I want to see where this is going. Will Smith. Yes, that is correct. <laughs> Veronica Lake is known um, probably the most for her hair. Oh. And she had... like an action. No. She had this wavy hair thing that kind of went over, like, kind of half over one eye called the peekaboo curl. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, I wish I knew how to do that. I wish I knew how to make my hair do that. It's got to be rollers of some kind, right? Uh, yeah. It's amazing. Rollers roll different directions or something? Yeah, something like that. I'm sure um, it's in a book somewhere. So she, she had that hairstyle pretty frequently in film, so she was kind of known for that. And... She, um, it kind of sparked other women to to do that in the country. Sure. Real women. It was the first Rachel cut. It was. Right. It was very much like the Rachel cut, right? So, so all these women were doing it, and then um, the America America joined the war. Yeah. And all these women had this peekaboo curl, and they were working in factories, you know, riveting things and like helping build airplanes and loading ammunition. And their hair was getting caught in machinery. Whoops. So Veronica Lake um, did another role where she like cut her hair or had it pulled back, which is very, very unusual for her. Yeah. And she went about going on like radio shows and things in a campaign to get women to cut their hair and tie their hair back. So that way they could stop getting injured in these, <laughs> these facts. She like wow. did this real campaign. I thought. So was... what you're saying is she's a war hero. She's a war she's hero. A war way hero to go, Veronica Lake. In the hair department. Yeah. Hey, yeah. you know, it takes all kinds. I think it's kind of cool. Like she went around to get people to change their hairstyle for safety. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's fantastic. Yeah. It's it's a necessary uh, uh I don't know. It's necessary. Sure. Um, they're there. So they're driving down the street. Boy, are they. And the police roll up on them with with sirens on. Yeah. Trying to catch them right and dirty. <laughs> so the next thing we know they're in jail. <gasps> and the butlers show up to get Sullivan out. And the police are like really skeptical, but they confirm that it's him. And so they let him out and he says let the girl out. She's getting bored. <laughs> and so they let the girl out and they get in the limo. And she's That's like, all it takes to get a girl out of jail? Let her out? She's getting bored? Well, I think yeah. now that they're sure that this was his car to begin with, it wasn't stolen. I mean, she didn't do anything wrong. Right. Okay. I guess that's a good point. So, well, yes, she didn't do anything wrong. He was driving without a license. Oh, Sullivan. Right, right. 
so they get the girl out and they end up in the limo and she's like hey is this your director friend's car and he's like yeah i'm the director and uh and so they go back to his house he's he's gonna give her some ham and eggs to repay her oh yeah and so yeah. They, we, we see the ham and eggs cooking up nice nice ham got a little bone in it um oh that kind and he yeah, okay. takes a <laughs> he takes a tour takes around a tour of this house and this house is big it is massive it's beautiful like those, the house from sunset boulevard but without all the scary stuff yeah without yeah, all the darkness and cobwebs. it's very well maintained yeah Walt doesn't like the scary cobwebs. Yeah. Walt. So she's like, well, where's the pool? He must, so as, he, as she's, he's showing her the place, she's sort of starting to get a little irritated. Yeah. And she's like, well, where's the pool? A place like this must have, have a pool. And he's like, oh, it's right out here. You know, completely oblivious to the fact that she's getting she's irritated. Being, and she's being sort of sarcastic. Like. Yeah. So he shows Darn her the, the pool. Girl. And she just pushes him in. Like, <laughs> Take a drink. And she's upset because as bad as she's had it. Yeah. She thought that she could raise her spirits by doing something nice for someone else. Mm-hmm. And someone less fortunate than her. She's like, I've, I'm going to go home. I'm, I'm a failure. But there's somebody at least that's worse off than me. So I'm going to try and give them a hand up. Um, and by bringing her to his house, he basically takes that away from her. Yeah, he's a big fat faker. But he's also in a position to completely make her career. So in a way, she did right by choosing. It's interesting to though help because less she fortunate. still insists to move on. She doesn't. She's done. Well, I can't speak for that. So, so Sullivan pulls her in, so she gets wet too. And then oh, later they yeah. have breakfast, and she brushes her hair, and she tries to convince him that she should go along with him, um, and that she'll follow him. And of course, he hates the idea. Now I want to talk about this scene. Boy, does she brush her hair! Yeah. So I I um, went back and watched it. Yeah. And I noticed something in the film. I pointed it out to... I, She's I, nude I, while she brushes I, her hair. I backed, <laughs> no. I, backed I think it up. you would have noticed that, Steve. I backed <laughs> it up and watched it a third time, specifically so I could show Desi, because I was, like, not quite flabbergasted by it, but I was. I thought it was so interesting what they did in this scene. What? It seems very uh, forward you, you for the totally time miss it. when this movie is made. So, so, first off, she's got her legs bare. Which is a big deal back then. That was like as close as you were going to get to nudity in, in a film. Right. So she has her legs bare and she's like sitting on this on the back of this chair and she's holding the brush. She brushes her hair for a little bit and then she just holds it in front of her. Hi-oh. In her lap. Straight up. And she begins to stroke the brush. Google image searching this right Very now. suggestively. Very suggestively. Very suggestively. Absolutely intentionally. I'm listening. So she's basically seducing him. Right? Because she wants to go with him. And so she moves around as she's trying to convince him to behind him. Uh-oh. Well, she, at first she's kind of like next to him, and she does the brush stroking thing again very close to him. Like, just like the brush is at his eye level. Like, she's standing, and he's sitting. And she's stroking this this hairbrush. And then she moves behind him and puts her arms on his shoulders and kind of leans in. And then she sits on his lap. Hey, and, now. And uses the brush to play with his hair. All right. And meanwhile, the butlers are like watching off to the side, like, oh, hey, hey, hey. The butlers are watching. Well, yeah, and the I think they're all, the they're all kind of like giddy, like maybe he'll just stay home now. Like this whole thing is or stupid. Or take her with him. Right. Because, because she's sort of fighting him. Once she gets on his lap, they, they really kind of get into this like sort of playful fight. And she, and so Burroughs comes over and he suggests that he thinks it might be a good idea to bring her with him. 
I like the idea. Sullivan refuses, and she starts doing this like playful, like I'm fighting, I'm kicking you, and her legs are flailing up and down in the air on his lap, and uh, and so he's like, "Hey, Burroughs, get her, get her legs!" And, like they're gonna like t- pick her up and take take her off of him, and so Burroughs grabs her legs. Sullivan stands up, which sends Burroughs back toward the pool, pulling both him and the girl into the pool. Nice. Now the other butler comes over to try to help Burroughs out of the pool, and of course when Burroughs reaches up, he he pulls the other butler in by accident. I don't think it was by accident. I feel like he kind of was like, eh, we're all in the pool now, it's funny, I'm going to pull you in too. To me, I I thought that on the initial watching, to me it looks like that he's trying to get out, but instead of letting the guy pull him up, he pulls also at the same time. Yeah. And so it pulls the other guy in. So... A little later, the two butlers are drying off, and Burroughs makes a phone call. And he talks to this man who runs a newsstand at a train station, and he's asking, where's the best place for uh, a transient to jump onto the, to a moving train? Oh, yeah. And the newsman's like, ah, wise guy, eh? And hangs up on him. Calls my wise guy. I thought that was cool. Burroughs is a wise guy. So the other, <laughs> the other butler um, makes... The guy a, who looks like he must be Jack Lemmon's dad? Yeah, he does look like Jack Lemmon. He makes a, a call to a rail yard and oh. um, approaches the conversation differently, and, and the man on the other hand gives him the info that he needs. Basically, yeah. basically says that the um, they can't get on the train on trail yard property. Yeah, trail yard, train yard property. So what they do is the dogs growling at the trains. Don't get on the train. So what happens is all of the hobos wait just on the other on just on the other lo- edge of the line right for the train yard and when we see that later there's actually a sign when they're looking at the train there's actually a sign that says uh train pro- train yard property end or something like yeah. that yeah it's a convenient sign Helps yeah. the hobos know where they can and can't get yeah. off and i think well they'd probably... be trespassing if they went past that line right, right? Although technically they're trespassing anywhere on the railroad tracks. Believe me, I've been busted for it plenty of times. Hoboing? Well, just playing around on railroad tracks as a kid. We'd get in big trouble. Well, and I think, I think, you know, maybe at this time, probably the railroad knows that there yeah. are a lot of transients. They probably yeah. can't do a lot about it. Yeah. So they're at least going to say, don't come on the property. Ernest so, Borgnine did a lot about it in the old uh, Emperor of the North. Yeah. With his club and their skulls. Okay. Dead. You've seen Emperor of the North, no, haven't you? Not oh. seen Emperor of no, the North. No. Guy clubbed hobo skulls for a hobby. <laughs> okay. Moving on. So Sullivan and the girl get driven out to the rail yard in their fancy car. And they get out of the car. And, of course, Burroughs sort of objects one more time. And then um, they walk from the car, this nice, really nice car, in their uh, tattered clothes. Of course, the girl has tattered clothes now and her hair is pulled back. She's sort of trying to look like a boy. They think it might be safer if she tries to look like a boy. Yeah, um, except she's got a crap load of lipstick and mascara on. Yeah, I and mean, she's still Veronica Lake. She's still Veronica right. <laughs> so they walk the up. sexy boy you brought with you, Sullivan. Well, I think Sullivan kind of makes a comment to that effect, too. Like, nobody's going to believe that you're a boy. But I yeah. think but I think the thought is, and especially when they walk up, it's all men. Yeah. So I think they think that, and this kind of comes up again later, that all all hobos or all poor people are men. Hmm. Right, that they have this sort of view in their head of what a hobo is, and it's what what Sullivan is caricaturing without trying to caricature it. Yeah, you know, that's their view of what a what a poor person is. So they walk from this really nice car to this large group of men who 
don't have the fortune to get out of a nice car. Yeah. And pretend to be poor. And I feel like some of them are looking at him like... They look are looking heck? at him extremely skeptically, yeah. yeah. Like, what's going on here? So they're all waiting for the train. The train starts to take off. Take off. Starts to move. And, yeah, what uh, does a train do? <laughs> I guess just go? Departs. Train Depart. Departs. So the chugalugs. The train <laughs> starts to approach the men, and the men begin to jump on him, just like this mass exodus of men jump, leaving the train state or train yard to get on the train. And all the men seem to jump on with mostly no problem. Um, eventually, Sullivan and the girl find a train car that two other men have previously jumped into, and it's full of hay. And he helps the girl get into the car with much difficulty, and then he tries to get in, and it takes. She has to help him get in. He has a really hard time with it, too. And the other two uh, homeless guys are just, like, watching it, kind of going, uh, what is what is going on here? Right. What is this? I so, think they joke about how new they must be, right? Yeah. They make a crack about that? Yeah, they do. They get in, and they lean up against the wall across from the men, and they, they sort of make some jokes, and they ask the men how things are going. Where, where, where are we off to? And the men just kind of get up, leave the car, and move to a different car, Via the outside, like, they're holding on to the boards outside of the train car. Oh, yeah. And just kind of shuffling along the edge, which is probably really dangerous, but that's how badly they don't want to be with these two people. <laughs> <laughs> they would rather li- risk life and limb. Yeah. So the the girl starts asking all these questions and about where they're going and what they're going to do and just stuff. Yeah. And it starts to irritate Sullivan. Um, but uh, And he sneezes because he's allergic to the hay or, or yep. he's, got a cold. he's getting a cold is what we later find out. But... Um, a little later into the ride, it's nighttime and it's cold and it's dark and they can't sleep and they're they're both stuffed up from the hay and, and that they're sitting in and they have sort of a moment for the probably the first time since the diner for sure. Well, I guess they kind of have a moment at the pool, but this is probably their real meaningful moment. And uh, and she sort of explains to him why he's better off having a girl with him, and, and he sort of tries to resist, resist her logic. Um, but she knows that he's weakening because when he sort of like tries to turn away or whatever, she just smiles at him. Ooh. So they wake up in the morning and the girl <coughs> is oh boy. hungry. There's, a, there's somebody outside. Walt, well, you're being a real bad booster right now. Hey, Des, pick him up. Oh, he's so angry. He's so angry. I've got two microphones now. Oh, no. Don't give Steve the extra microphone. I've got two microphones. (laughs) I'm an unstoppable force. All I need now is Wes's third microphone. It's not happening, man. And I will rule the show. All right. So they wake up in the morning, and the girl is hungry. She is really hungry. Should I turn this one off? Sure. So, um, Sullivan's like, what, "What do you think? Like, what do you think hobos do when when they need to eat? Like, what do you think they eat?" And she goes out like to explain how they cook over fires and they have corn on the cob with melted butter. And she again, this sort of caricature of what we what people thought hobos were were yeah. like. Um, and of course, the description isn't doing any good because it makes Sullivan hungry as well. He mm-hmm. tells her to shut up. And uh, as he gripes at her, she, like, gives this little sniffle, and she pouts, and she just goes, I'm hungry. Aw, Veronica. So, um, Sullivan gets up to look out of the door, and he sees a town ahead. And, 
It's the, the town that hates hobos. It's the town that dreaded hobos. No, that's the worst town to go to in this situation. Yeah. yeah. So, um, she does this little thing that I thought was kind of cute, uh, where she does sort of like the finger toothbrush on her teeth. She kind of wipes the grime off of her. Oh, okay, yeah. Her teeth, and then she takes her fingers that she has the saliva, and she straightens her eyebrows. Like, she makes herself presentable. Even as a hobo, the girl is going to make herself presentable before she, she starts moving. Um, All right. So he sees this little town. She comes up to him, and she says, what town is it? And he says, I don't know, probably Hollywood. <laughs> which, which is one of my favorite lines of the entire movie. I thought that was really funny. So He just can't get away. just can't get away. So the... The girl points out that there's a lunch stand, so they decide they're going to hop off the train. So Sullivan goes first, and um, he runs along the train, and she has a hard time like committing to jumping. Oh, yeah. Train, figuring out how to do it. Eventually, he's kind of like, I can't run forever. So she jumps out into his arms, and they go kind of crashing into a bale of hay. That's it's, Good thing that was there. Yeah. yeah. Well, it was a bunch of bales of hay, so it was like a farm. But it was interesting because when we first see Veronica Lake, She's just the, very glamorous, right? And very yeah. tall and beautiful and stuff. And when we see her at the pool, she's got these long legs out and stuff. Um, when she's in this legs. little outfit, doesn't she seem like a, a child? She's a very small person. Yeah. Like, she doesn't seem tall and glamorous. Like, obviously, she doesn't seem glamorous because she's wearing tattered clothes. But Yeah. No but high she, heels. Yeah. She just she seems very, very short. No long yeah, flowing she's dress. she's standing next to Which, John. Like in the door of the train car, I just remember thinking, man, she is so short. I looked it up. <laughs> she was 3'8". <laughs> no. <laughs> don't um, believe me if you don't want to believe me. I, uh, she wasn't 3'8". She was not 3'8". Yeah, correct. I think um, maybe it speaks to the transition that they go through throughout the film. She's going to go th- She's going to go through, and it, his dizzy stomach is growling. <laughs> that is the dog. That is not um, his stomach. So she's going to go through um, more of a transformation faster, I think, than him. And we're going to see that again here shortly in a few scenes. But um, So they crash into the bale of hay. They get up, and uh, there's a little diner. And they go inside to sit down for a cup of coffee each, which will cost them 10 cents total. Delicious. And the man behind the counter gives them the sort of a suspicious eye. Now, there's this big like display of donuts sitting directly in front of the girl. And she eyes these donuts and like licks, licks her lips and stuff. It's very kind of cartoony and silly. And Sullivan reaches down into his pockets and then he remembers he must have spent it. I'm guessing... I would have thought he would have spent it at the first diner. They never really suggest where he spends that he, money. He says it because, I mean, they've gone back to his house and stuff by then. I think he says it, it must have fallen out of his pocket in the oh, train okay. car. So... The train car. So... She gets like super sad and just looks down at these donuts. The the diner man who was bringing them coffee had stopped in his tracks when he saw that they didn't have any money. But then he continues, sets the coffee down, and gives them each a donut. Mm-hmm. And he he says, you know, I'm never gonna make a dime. Aww. I think he says, I'm never gonna be rich. I'm never. Well, he, like, I, th- I, I think thought he his... said, I'm never gonna make any money. And then and then Sullivan says, You're richer than you know. Maybe he says oh. I'm not going to the, the point yeah. is, the sentiment is, he's not going to make any money. And so Sullivan gives him sort of like a little mini speech about how how rich he truly is and that he'll, he'll never forget this kindness. And he asks the man where they are and he tells them. 
Las Vegas. Las Vegas. So he asks if the, if he's seen this big land yacht. And he's like, oh, you mean this thing out there? And he Is gestures it, out the window. Yeah. There's the bus. <laughs> There's the bus. <laughs> it's right out back. So um, I... That's that's pretty much the end of that scene. Um, because the next thing we see is them inside the bus. But yeah, thought, there's a big, there's a huge montage at that point of just like land yacht life. Well, well, we have a couple scenes before that, but um, I liked that they sort of compared that. There's this like sort of small comparison. Vegas is not a place that's known for kindness and true generosity. Right. And Sin City, baby. There's there's no place else I can think of that, that sort of the symbol is Greek. Right. It's a wretched hive of scum and villainy. Right. Right. <laughs> so I think out in the desert. Um so I, I don't know, I thought that was kind of an interesting comparison that this this guy in the, the biggest city known for greed um was hmm. super generous to them and sort of I think um reminds them that there's good people out there. I like it. So inside the bus, they they're sitting down for a larger breakfast, and the girl is just like piling on pancakes and pouring syrup and stuffing her mouth, and Sullivan is getting grilled by the doctor, and the doctor shoves a, a thermometer into his mouth and says, "No, oh, you gotta go, you gotta go to bed." So he yeah. forces him in the bed and gives him a shot for his cold, and Sullivan explains that they've got to get back on the road because they're going to go to Kansas City, and the doctor says, "We're going to drive to Kansas City, and we'll let you out." You know, just before we get there. And, and he's like, two, two days minimum, I think he says, in yeah. bed. Um, that would be wonderful. Before they go, before they take off, yeah. the doctor jumps out of the bus to give the diner man $100 per Sullivan's um, instruction without explaining who it's from or why. And so basically for this small kindness that this guy did... He got the equivalent of selling 2,000 cups of coffee. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's pretty fantastic. Yeah. So the girl... Yeah, I guess so. The girl showers up, um, and uh, the the journalist assistant comes in to bring her something, and, you know, Veronica Lake all lathered up in the, the shower. More about the shower, please. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so she gets she gets dressed up, and... Um, puts her makeup on. She does the whole eyebrow thing. Straightens, you know, makes sure her eyebrows are sleeked. And um, she makes herself very presentable. Yeah. And, and she you... spends all... They, they make a point. There's no dialogue. They make a point of showing her, getting herself ready, straightening her dress, making sure she's perfect before she goes to see Sullivan. Because now we know how she feels about him. Right. And oh, there's yeah. kind of a moment between the two women when the secretary comes in and she's like, I'm going to take care of you. Like, I know, I know that the rest of these guys have no idea what you need. She's like, there's makeup in the medicine cabinet. I brought you a wrap. Like, right. Oh, yeah, because the good. secretary's kind of the only woman. She's the only other woman. On the land yacht. She's really the only other woman connected to the studio in any way. Right. Whoa. We see the operators later at the end of the film, but that's. Ah. Yeah. So she gets herself all presentable, and she goes in to see Sullivan. Um, and he's, you know, he's kind of getting down on himself and sort of like, you know, he sort of brings up this idea that we sort of alluded to before. That maybe destiny puts you where you're supposed to be, and I'm just mm. not supposed to be doing this. You know, multiple times I've I've ended up back in uh, in Hollywood. You know, I keep I keep getting back to where I started, and here I am again with the studio. So maybe I'm not supposed to do this. And she she um, she sort of uh, talks him out of that, like talks him back up. Yeah. Um, and there's this idea that the universe puts you where you belong, and I think. 
you know, for the sake of that, that is kind of true. What's going on right here is that the universe has put these two people together. Sure has. Didn't so, give her a name, but it put them together. Yeah. <laughs> so they get off the bus. Um, they make their way hand in hand through a field of encampments. Yeah. Good old uh, Hooverville, they would Hoover. call those Yeah, things. I was trying to remember what the, the term was for. I couldn't remember. Something. President couldn't Hoover remember. made a ville. That's never a song that ever was recorded. <laughs> so um, they go through this field of encampments, this Hooverville, and uh, there's all these shacks and huts and fire pits with homeless people everywhere. And they're surrounded, and it's, it's now... Um, it's it's now that they realize that there's this epidemic that's hit the country that they just have never really seen. They've they've heard about it and they've visualized it in their heads, but never like this. Um, and that it's not never. it's not all men. There and it's are not all men. And that's and that's where I was going to go with this. That's a good point. That there there are wives and yeah. and mothers and, babies. and kids, and it's not it's not just men. And did you notice that Poor the girl's outfit has changed? No. What did it change she, into? She changed into a woman's outfit. Oh, um, so she's no longer looking like a like a boy, and she has a completely different kind of hat on. And and it's when this this outfit change happens is when they realize that there's all of these wives and women that are homeless too. And so, um, so now she looks less comical and more normal. I yeah, guess. that's kind of where the movie sort of really starts to take more of a serious turn. So uh, then we see them move slowly through a bread line while a photographer is like sitting up in a telephone pole taking pictures of them. Um, but they don't really seem to notice. The, they never show them notice the photographer. Um, they're, they're kind of in this other world now. And uh, they can't help but just take it all in. They're just completely surrounded and inundated by it. Uh, so then later they're sitting against the, like, this kind of like a montage. Yeah. Um, they're sitting against pieces of an old couch on the ground and Sullivan starts freaking out. He's got all these bugs crawling through his clothes and the girl thinks it's funny, of course. Um, and then all of a sudden she realizes that there, there are bugs in her clothes too. And so she starts Blech. shimmying around and they end up Boy, in, does she. in kind of a <laughs> communal shower to get the bugs off, like, uh, get rid of the bed bugs. Like a shower house. Yeah, like a shower house thing. Um, there's like some... They show uh, they show all the men showering and stuff, and then they, then they cut to the shot of the women showering in their stalls. And there's like kind of this woman who is overseeing the whole thing. Ooh, kind of, a kind shower of, boss? Yeah, kind of shower like boss. yeah. It's and that's the thing is like it's not just like a place where they go and shower. There's like you know somebody walking around and yeah. making them use certain kinds of soap. Like here's the stuff you need. And um, I guess when she when the girl like lathers up and then starts to hit herself with the water she has this feeling of disgust she has this is this look of terror and she's never she's never been word. told how to shower before uh, and i think i think it's like the realization is hitting her and that's sort of where i was going with the whole like i think she transforms faster than him she, mm. her clothing changes and um she gets this realization that there's people like her out there and she's in this situation that she never thought she would be in where she's showering with all these other women and there's some big woman in a dress walking around observing everything and yeah, yeah I, think it, I think it becomes more evident to them that it's not just about not having money or a roof over your head it's about not having dignity yeah, yeah. in some situations no privacy yeah, yeah. so they they attend a church hmm. service um where we presume they're, they're preached about um about greed 
preached to about greed because the the preacher does this like sort of like scheming snidely whiplash kind of caricature on on stage we it's just to music so we don't hear it but he kind of rubs his hands together like kind of like a greedy cartoon character yeah um and uh and the place is completely packed it's crowded and and all these people all these homeless people are in there um there's some i believe non-homeless people in there people that are in like nicer outfits and stuff they sit more toward the aisles of the church whereas Mm. the homeless people sit towards the edges which is where the camera is anyways yeah and um we see that a lot of them are just sort of like taking the opportunity to sleep um the girl is sleeping on his shoulder waiting on that wafer at the end yeah well they, they then they get fed they get they they go and they sit in this big dining hall where all these people are eating and there's this this kind of older man sitting across from them just chowing down on his food just like voraciously like he's he appreciates his food and Sullivan and the girl are kind of just picking at their food Sullivan takes a bite and she watches him eat it and he's just like this is terrible hmm. and you just see it on his face and she kind of laughs and then they look back over across at the guy and the other guy is like you know he doesn't have a problem with the food right it's, it's food so after dinner, they head into this room, and it's completely covered. The entire floor is completely covered with sleeping people. It's like hardly any room to walk, but they, they kind of tiptoe around bodies, and they find a little spot, and they, they lay down next to each other, and he holds on to her. And arms are, like, flailing over on top of them, and people are sleeping with their mouths open in their faces. And it's an orgy of sleep. Yeah, I mean, it's it's And they're it's piled. They're piled they're, on yeah. top of each other. And there's... Like kittens. There's uh, one guy near him that has um, Walt hates this sleep story he has he has no Walt so there's a guy near them that has just tattered shoes when I say tattered shoes you can completely see his feet through the shoes yeah like his toes and stuff and super dirty and stuff split open so (laughs) so so they eventually do fall asleep what's that Walt is a terrible guest he's a terrible guest this is the last time we're having walt on well you're a bad viewster but you're a wonderful friend mm, mm. it's true yeah. so <laughs> in the morning they get roused up so this guy comes in and beats a ladle on a pan to wake everybody up so that's the best way to wake up in the morning right oh heck yeah and uh next to uh billy club inside a metal garbage yeah, can going yeah, around exactly around. so um they wake up and sullivan sees that he's barefoot his shoes have been <gasps> stolen the, uh during the night no. So so he puts on the the tattered shoes that were there. Um, those that's the guy who stole his stuff. But it's not a big problem. I mean, so what? He lost his shoes. Big deal, right? Uh, we'll Wrong. Out. So to make a, a little bit of money, Sullivan wears a sandwich board for a tailor named Mo. Oh. And in turn, to earn money, the girl follows behind him with a sign from the pants maker union calling for a boycott on Mo. <laughs> And then that night, Sullivan and the girl walk along this like picturesque lakefront. It's beautiful. Super, super beautiful. Um, sorry, I got distracted by the dog, but I wanted to say something about um, the scene the scene where they're eating. Uh-huh. Um, I feel like the difference in the way that they see their food and the way that the actual homeless people see their food is kind of speaks to the fact that even though they're seeing and sort of experiencing this lifestyle they know in their head that they can go back at any time and that's important yeah they're not desperate yeah like these people are yeah that's especially important for john sullivan right so anyway so they so they go and they're walking at night along the this this 
waterfront, this beautiful lake. And mm-hmm. it's, it's a great shot. And, a Veronica lake. Ah, and as they walk, um, it's very subtle and very easy to miss. There are two feet hanging from the top of the screen <gasps> in the trees. Um, and it would be something that you could easily miss if you if you weren't paying attention. Were they wearing Sullivan's shoes? They were not wearing Sullivan's shoes. Oh, okay. Um, and I think the idea behind it is this is another person that um, was hard on their luck. Another one of these homeless people, and he gave up and killed himself. Oh, you think he was hanged? Yeah, I think he's hanging from the tree. Oh, I they, thought it was just somebody sitting on a high branch. No, nah, I don't think so. Gross. Yeah, I think they never really address it and they don't really show it. They literally just walk by it. And I think the idea is that there's all this like this beauty and stuff that you can take in. But these two people are now in the, in the knee deep in this journey yeah. of, of poverty. And regardless of all the beautiful things that they don't, they're not even looking at the lake. Yeah. Um, regardless of all these beautiful things, there's this serious problem and it's, and it's killing people. And uh, and I think that's the that's the reference to the feet hanging there. So. Wowzers! I thought it was just a happy tree climber. I don't think so. Riding high. No, you think you think corpse on a noose, huh? I mean, they don't look up and wave to it or anything, you know. <laughs> so I mean, they don't even see it. They don't. Like, they don't. They don't acknowledge it at all. They don't acknowledge it at all. It's not like somebody that shouts, "Hey, how's it going, buddy?" Right. You know, they just they just look how high I am. Yeah, they just move on. And they don't look at the, like I said, they don't look at the lake, they don't look at the moon. Wow. They just walk realizing the situation that they're in. Because when he, once he's walking in those shoes, that's, so we, we talked about her transformation with the clothes. This is his transformation with the clothes. Yeah. You know, he's, he's beginning to lose his comfort, whether it's the bugs or the shoes or the food. He's beginning, we're seeing John start to lose these things. And we know that she's already started to lose these things. Yeah. She's been losing since before the movie started. This right. is true. So... She, she doesn't lo- even. She lost her name. She, she, she was always. <laughs> she was also always closer to poverty than he was. Yeah. So, um, they continue on. They start looking through garbage, and they open up a garbage can, and they they're poking around with sticks and stuff, and they open up this can, and they see something that makes them just practically sick, and that's when Sullivan decides he can't put this girl through this anymore, and he doesn't want to deal with it, so they turn around and run down the street and we see that they um basically go back to the to a hotel they meet up with uh the caravan yeah the land yacht the land yacht land yacht crew and uh and they they go to the hotel and they wash up and sullivan's in bed and the girl can again gets all dolled up for him essentially and then comes in and sits down next to him in the bed and um they're definitely in love at this point They've, they've gone through a lot together and uh, and that's when Sullivan explains to her that uh, she well she she says you want to continue this journey together right like you want to you know I could go home but I thought maybe you'd want to stay together and he's like yeah he then has to explain that he's still married mm. and she's like what and he can't he can't um, and it's a marriage of convenience and stuff and he can't get out of it because the wife won't give him a divorce. Because she wants to keep getting paid. Capital B. Married. Yeah. Right. He basically says you can't you can't have a divorce without collusion. Like, yeah. if she doesn't agree to it, then he's not getting a divorce. Again, he should have paid to have her murdered. <laughs> so, but they're going to go back together. Like he says, get two plane tickets. We're going back. Nice. So Sullivan goes back out in his his tramp clothes. Um, with a stack of $5 bills, a big stack of $5 bills. Oh, yeah. And he's going to give these out to as many people as he can. 
Um, do you remember how much they gave him in five dollar bills? I think he says a thousand dollars. Thousand dollars is what I Holy thought. Holy shnikes! Yeah, he has a big lot stack of five dollar bills. So he, people are mostly shocked and happy. Little kids and women and men and stuff are pretty happy, but they're shocked as well, uh, for the most part. But there's one homeless guy um, that seems to be in slightly nicer shoes than everyone else. Oh yeah, and uh, he seems to feel the greed, and so he follows Sullivan. He ambushes him, knocks him unconscious. Drags him and stashes his body into a, a train car, and he steals the money. <gasps> but as he makes his getaway, the man trips, and um, while he's collecting the money that he just dropped off the the railway, uh, a train comes by and hits him and kills him. Serves him right. So of course Sullivan doesn't return because he's knocked out inside a train car. Yeah. So the studio sends people out to look for him. They check the hospital. They check the police station. They go to the morgue. And there's a body in the morgue, but it's so um, destroyed that yeah. you can't tell who it is. Wouldn't it be all chopped to pieces by the train wheels? Well, it depends on if he went under the train or if he was hit and thrown. But Well, it also seems like he's at an interchange of the train Yeah, he didn't tracks. know which way to go. So I... It, I'm sure it was messy. Oh, so grody. They they say, go check. Well, did did John have any any identification? And the girl says, well, he had ID sewn into his shoe. Into his shoe. So they say, go check the shoe. And so the guy goes, and then he comes back, and sort of like this weight. And then, yep, we see the ID card, John L. Sullivan. And so they decide that John is dead. So no. Sullivan wakes up in a a train yard, and he deliriously gets gets in this sort of fight with a train yard guy yeah a, uh, a rail i don't know what those guys are called kind. a um, rail brute so he gets arrested and yeah it, i kind of felt like it was that guy's job to like chase tramps out. out of the train yeah yeah, yeah. Like, well, remember they're not supposed to be on the rail yard they're supposed right. to get out before the rail yard and they're supposed to get on after the rail yard right so, um some sort of hired thug so he gets arrested and he's sort of made an example of well, he's all delirious, right? They don't know who he is. Yeah, but he doesn't get arrested just for being in the train yard. He's a, he gets arrested for fighting with the guy. Right. So that's what I said. Oh, sorry. Um, so they make an example of him and they send him to a prison work camp for six years. Six years. It's a long time. Well, no, even, like all the way through the trial. Like I don't know how, how fast he gets to this trial, but he still can't even remember his name. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's he, yeah he has no ID. He doesn't remember who he is. They don't know who he is. Oh man. Um, and they show in the in the trial he's kind of like foggy, like yeah. you kind of see from his perspective, and he's kind of foggy. Um, I get the feeling that it's like an overnight kind of thing. Yeah, it seems like it's it's very soon. So while he's in the work camp, um, the Hollywood group mourns him. They have a funeral, and they tell you know they tell his wife and all this stuff. Um, and when he gets to the work camp, he's he just wants to like tell somebody who he really is that you got to understand this is who i really am they don't believe him and the the guy who runs the work camp um he uh he's kind of a hard ass and yeah kind of is maybe a little and he's like no privileges for him you know while he's new and mouthing off and all this stuff and so he's you know sullivan's beaten and he's put in a sweat box just for trying to find his way out of the mess like mm -hmm. reading a newspaper or whatever um they won't let him write a letter they won't let him make a phone call um so eventually um they the prisoners get to go to a movie night oh yeah so they they take the prisoners to this small black church for the movie night and it's kind of a, a cool sequence because it's really the only other time you really see um, 
a black person speak in the film. Yeah, that's and, true. And um, it's eloquent. Boy, does he speak. He does speak. Yes. <laughs> um, and he talks about um, inclusion. Yeah. Which is interesting, especially for that time period. Um, either the time period that the movie takes place or the time period the movie was filmed. Right. Um, he talks about inclusion and acceptance and how um, we're going to, we're not going to move away from these people. We're not going to look at them funny. We're going to accept them and let them watch the movie with us. And he says to, to clear the front rows for these people. The front three rows. Right. And so um, they bring the prisoners in. They're singing, uh, let my people go. Oh, yeah. Which I thought was a strange uh, song choice for prisoners in chains coming in. I mean, I, I know it's about slave, slaves, but these men aren't Still, slaves. They're criminals. Yeah. Which is a little different. Very different. But now yeah. they're being used as slaves. They are. Know? They are. That's true. And I also feel like it's it's kind of like they're they're saying these people are our people. They're, they're not sure. black. That's a good point. All mm. necessarily. But they're downtrodden and they're, you know... He does, and he does say, you know, he reminds them, you know, he who ha- who has no sin cast the first stone. Right. Yeah. Like, so sort of, uh, kind of along what you're saying, I think. I always thought the lyrics to that song were "Let my Cameron go." Uh, it's a different movie. You sure? I'm pretty sure. <laughs> we'll see. Um, so this this scene actually ended up being my favorite scene when they come in and they watch the movie. Um, because it's the it's the aha moment yeah. of the film, which I yeah, I love. It's like he finally gets it. Yeah. Um, so the movie starts playing and it's this Disney cartoon, um, with Ferris Bueller's day off. It's got Pluto. Um, and everyone starts laughing uncontrollably. Uh, I I guess they originally tried to get a Chaplin film. Oh yeah. And Chaplin wouldn't give them the rights to it. So they, they got this Disney Pluto film. Um, Chaplin. And so everyone starts laughing uncontrollably, and then you slowly start to see Sullivan start laughing, and he, he looks over at the guy next to him, and he's like, am I laughing? <laughs> and then he starts laughing again, um, and he he begins to find the humor in, in what they're watching, and he sort of has this respite from from the prison stuff. So a little bit later, um, they're they're working, and they're on, the, on a lunch break, and there's sort of this um, this confidant he has, sort of a a guy that that's that is sort of the bridge between the prisoners and the boss. Yeah. The work boss. Um, he's sort of like a lackey, but he's also a prisoner. He's kind of an older man, probably like a guy who's serving a life sentence. Yeah. Probably been there a while. Yeah. With his Worked his way into hat. favor. Yeah. And mm. so this is sort of his confidant. He's like, you know, I've got to find a way to get my picture in the paper. And so that the guy tells him, the confidant tells him that, he, you know, he'd, he'd have to win something or <laughs> yeah. have, have to kill someone. Oh. And so... Sullivan gets this idea, and so he he grabs him. He's like, "I go see the boss." And so they they run out to the boss, and he says, "I want to confess to the murder of John L. Sullivan <gasps> himself, the film director." And Ooh. so and so he does. He gets his picture in the paper. So back in Hollywood, the girl is on set. The there's a there's a moment a little bit before that kind of glossed over, where um, when we're seeing the like funeral process and all that stuff, how how Hollywood is dealing with the loss of him. Um, the girl is just sitting there all in black and she's crying and the executives are there and they no. they tell her, we're going to take care of you. Okay. That's what... The, you were John, his last discovery. Yeah. You were his last discovery. You're, you're John's last gift to the world. And so when we see this moment where she's reading the newspaper in Hollywood, she's on set like 
going to be in a movie. Yeah. Meanwhile, now, his wife at the gravesite was like smacking the flowers around and like, what an inconvenience. Like, yeah, clearly, I've got to go through this process. Like, yeah. <laughs> so she's a in the jerk. Yeah. In the background of this movie set scene is director Preston Sergis is, is the, playing the director that the, oh, the nice. show that the girl's going to be in. And she sees the photo in the paper with the thing about the guy confessing to the murder. And she gets really excited. And we hear this like kind of funny like whistle thing when she throws her arms up in the air and she gets up in her little outfit and she runs through the studio knocks some native american themed guys over uh in the back lot <laughs> okay. knocks quite a few people well she's over. wearing she's... she's wearing um sort of a frontier girl outfit yeah, yeah. so like this idea that skirt something about her knocking specifically to like in between two native americans and knocking them over was very funny to me hmm. um and she she falls down multiple times on her way she's kind of she's kind of klutzy and, um, and, and also her outfit is a little bit ridiculous. Like it's, it's a little ridiculous. <laughs> well, there's a reason behind that. We'll get to that in it's like short in the front. So you can see yeah. all of her bloomers. Yeah. So, um, that, that is ridiculous. Yeah. Well, there's, there's an interesting, well, the reason we see all of her bloomers is because she's holding the front of her dress up. So she doesn't trip on it. I believe. No, it's cut short in the front. I, I watched it again today and she definitely is holding on to the front of her dress, but there's a reason, there's a reason that that it's it is cut a little bit funny the waist is higher than it should be hmm. on the dress and and i'll get to that in a minute um but she's definitely holding on to the dress as she runs okay and she tri- she keeps tripping and she runs into the office and shows in the paper and everybody starts cheering and they call everyone all of the publicity people in and the secretary comes in and uh and you know they start making phone calls that's when we see the operators all the operators making all the calls connecting all the calls oh yeah and uh and so, yay, we know that, that Sullivan's going to be safe and he's going to get to come home. So let's address the, the outfit thing. The outfit thing. Yeah. Did you know, Steve, that Veronica Lake was between six and eight months pregnant during the filming of this movie? Oh, um, that'll explain a lot. So, right yeah, now. somewhere in that area, maybe about seven months pregnant. So so they were camouflaging her tummers. They were, they were camouflaged. So everything she wears in it has, like, a high waist and it, oh, it's all a little bit loose. And, okay. You know, goofy clothes. Veronica Lake. I wonder who her baby grew up to be. But. I don't know. The only person camouflaging her pregnancy is the wardrobe designer. Because she's the only person who, who knows knew. that Veronica is pregnant. Until until, until closer to the end of the filming when Preston Sturgis found out. And he was mad. He's so, um, back in Kansas City, the girl tells Sullivan that his wife got remarried. There's all these people yelling and taking photos, and she's explaining to him, your wife got married. Um, to the business partner. To the business partner, because they thought... Like the business manager, sorry. Yeah, because they thought that um, Sullivan was dead. So so she was off the hook to marry the guy, and she wasn't going to get any money from him anymore. <laughs> so she married the guy. Um, and, of course, when we, fi- when we see the wife find out that he's still alive... She's in bed, and then they they have those twin beds, and oh, yeah. the business manager is in bed also. And she gets up at, mad at him and grabs this vase of flowers and breaks it over his head. He Serves like, him right. Yeah. <laughs> so they get on a plane to fly home, and the studio says they're ready to film. They tell him, get ready to film, oh, brother. Um, but Sullivan turns it down. He doesn't want to make a sad film anymore. Well, that's good. He realized that comedy has this place and it does a service for people who have less 
than than others and it, it means something to people and he wouldn't have realized that if he hadn't lost everything including the control of his destiny which i think was right. like really important like he lost his shoes and when he lost his shoes he lost his identity yeah and um when he ended up in that work camp like it was the first time that something was out of his control he could have always called the studio he could have always gone back to the hotel until somebody took that that ability to do that away from him. So right. it wasn't until he completely lost the control of everything that um, uh, that he realized what was really important. And, of course, the universe being this thing that always is putting them back in the right place saw him home safely, right? Right. I like it. So there's something that you see at the very beginning of the film that I really, um, I really liked. And it's uh, the first thing you see are is a book the Sullivan travels book and these, these women's hands open up the book and then the credits are played over the pages. Right. Yeah. And then just before the movie starts, before we see the train scene, um, we see this line of text. And I want to read this line of text. Please do to the memory of those who made us laugh, the motley mountebanks, the clowns, the buffoons in all times and in all nations whose efforts have lightened our burden a little. This picture is affectionately dedicated, mm. which I think is kind of, Again, at the beginning of the film, they sort of make a nod, an early nod to what this film is really about. Yeah. Right. Um, and it's kind of the lesson that Sullivan learns throughout the film. Now, originally, that that little thing was um, part of his speech at the end of the film. Oh, yeah? And they ended up cutting it out and putting it at the beginning in, in the text. I'm still not entirely sure what a mount bank is in yeah. human terms. You know, I was going to look that up, but I just didn't have time. A mount bank. I couldn't find out who Veronica Lake's uh, progeny was. They don't want you to know, Steve. It wasn't on IMDb. What if it was? If it was me, you'd be older. I would be older. (laughs) So, uh, so yeah. So that's Sullivan's Travels. It was a fun one. Yeah, it was a fun one. Really great movie. Yeah. I I wish I hadn't fallen asleep so many times. I rather would have slept through Mutiny on the Bounty. You could borrow it if you want. I just might do that because now. On the well, we got we got a little something to, to talk about before we get to Mutiny on the Bounty. Okay. Our friends at Acid Ink Selection sent us a message this Oh, morning. yeah. And this, I'll just read you their message. They say, sometimes in life you learn some counterintuitive things, like the most expensive wine isn't always the best or necessarily right for a particular situation or occasion. We've got a wine that is affordable, very utilitarian, and is just a great everyday sort of offering. Mm. You know how hobos carry their clothes around in a bag on a stick? Well, this wine comes in a bag, in a box. (laughs) Azoni, from La Marche, the east coast of Italy on the Adriatic, makes a white from Greco and a red from San Giovese that are both simple, rustic, and great food wines. Best part is, with today's modern winemaking, this three-liter bag, equivalent to four bottles in one bag, Sign me up. of wine will stay fresh, tasting like you opened it the same day for up to four weeks. Hobo wine for the people. Nice. So thank you very much, Acid Ink Selections. We appreciate your uh, suggestion. We will make sure we list it in the comments of the podcast so people know exactly what to look for. I'm thinking about going to get some of that wine. Some, some wine. You know, it's funny, um, people sort of look down on, like, on boxed wine, I think. Like, it became sort of a joke for a long time, and I think it sort of has become less of a joke. Well, they say it's actually a lot better for the wine than keeping it in bottles. Sure. So, you know, tomato, potato. But it's like, yeah, of course, anything in a box in a bag is going to get made fun of at first. Look at bagged cereal, right? People are like, well, why would I buy that? Where's the box? It's like, well, idiot. 
you're paying more for the yeah. box. I, I I used to observe that um, screw cap wine bottles used to get bagged on a lot, and that, oh, yeah? that's changed as well. Oh. And I asked I asked aciding selections about that one time, and they said um, that. Uh, with the screw cap, yeah. um, you have less of an opportunity for the wine for the, for, um, the wine to get corked, yeah. or the like the mold or whatever grows on the bottom of the cork. Oh yeah, so you don't have that that likelihood of happening because it's gross screw, when that happens. Screw cap, right? Yeah. So, anyways, interesting. Thank you, Acid Ink Selections. Yay! Mutiny on the Bounty. Mutiny on the Bounty. I got uh, I got a couple things we can talk about at the beginning of this, and then we can get get right into it. What have you got? This film was nominated for eight Academy Awards. Dang. It won Best Picture. That's the only one. Yep. But what happened with Best Actor is the most interesting part. What happened with Best Actor? I'm sure it's for Clark Gable and not the guy who played Captain Bly, right? Wrong. Ooh. Oh, really? Three actors from this film were nominated for Best Actor. Good lord. Interesting. Yeah. It's the first time this happened, and I'm guessing because of this, what's I'm about to read. Um, the guy who played Hidi Hidi. No, not and then, uh What's his face? So it was um, Clark Gable. Right. It was uh, Charles Lawton, who played Captain Bly. Uh-huh. And then Franchot Tone. Tone. I don't know. I don't know how you say Did he play Byam? He played Byam. Uh-huh. They were all nominated for, for Best Actor. Um, so what they did is after that, the Academy said, we can't have this happen again. Mm. They only nominated four people, three of which from the same movie. They created best supporting actor because of this film. Nice. Yeah. So if you ever wondered why they, they give that award, there you go. Here it is a movie about changing standards. And because of this movie, some standards were indeed changed. So who do you think won, um, best actor? Not any of those three guys? Not any of those three guys. The one guy who was not in this film won Best Actor. Who was that? <laughs> Victor McLaglin in The Informer. Oh. Yeah, so it's kind of like the Sunset yeah, Boulevard ever. thing again. Yeah, they probably right? all cancel each other out. Yeah. That seems to be a trend in the Oscars. So uh, Frank Lloyd is the director of this film. His father was a mechanical engineer, and he installed engines and turbines and things in the boats and ships Ooh. they live they went all over england uh scotland wales um they installed engines and then there was a some type of accident oh and uh so they, he stopped working in that industry and opened up a pub but cool. um but that sort of began uh frank lloyd's uh love of nautical things so all right um, it led him to make this film as well as nine other nautical films whoa i wow. do not have a list of them so don't ask Mutiny on the Bounty. And a whole bunch of others. Bounty of Mutiny. Yep. Mune to tie on the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yep. Mutiny on the Bounty. Bounty. Part four, The Reckoning. There you go. The Reckoning. <laughs> and uh, Bounty versus Brawny. Yep. <laughs> do you, do you want to do, do this? Yeah. And um, I can't wait. Feel free to. Uh, My just... notes are sparse on this. Yeah, hey, that's okay. Because I I want to get through this movie fast because it's gonna be a short I'm not, one. I'm not crazy about it. All right, so it starts in the year 1787. Hey, that's true. Uh, America had only recently freed itself from the madness of King George, and uh, here this movie starts with uh, what's his name? Uh, 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 Fletcher Christian. What was his rank? They, they kind of didn't really say. Everybody was just Mr. This, Mr. That, and then Captain Bly. But, uh, he was a ship's lieutenant. A ship's lieutenant? All right. So Fletcher Christian, played by Clark Gable, 
is going around. Uh, I'm assuming uh, what was it? Uh, uh, Portsmouth, I think it said it was labeled. Yeah. I think that's where they left from. Yeah, and he's just basically pressing men into naval service. He's coming into Comes this down. bar and he's going, "Hey guys, the king needs six more men for this one particular ship. You're you it. guys are it." <laughs> like one guy was if like. You- but I'm a tailor, and he like opens up the guy's shirt, and he's got a tattoo of a ship. Yeah, on his chest. he's like, really? <laughs> yeah. So that guy was clearly a navy man in hiding. And then there's a young guy who uh, has just had a baby and just gotten married, and uh, Christian is basically saying, "Well, don't worry about it, because you're only going to be on the bounty for two years uh, while only. your baby is growing up." Yeah. And he's explained where they're going at that point. Does he explain where they go? I don't going? know. It's just, I don't. I feel like they don't know just so? yet. But then again, at the very beginning of the movie, it talks about how the bounty uh, set out. There's like a a, 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 a title card or something. A scroll, yeah, yeah, a crawl, whatever you want to call it, that says the bounty set out from England to Tahiti on a two-year voyage to bring back uh, breadfruit trees and some other stuff. Just like a green, spiky-looking fruit. Yeah, and uh, and while uh, while on this voyage. These, uh, you know, the crew decided they were going to uh, mutiny against Captain Bly, but also just against the abusive practices of the British Navy itself. What's interesting because they didn't. And we see a bunch of those. They didn't actually tell us that they were going to mutiny in that scroll. Scroll. No, I thought we, for sure it did. Say I think so. it, I thought they just said they never, they never made it. Oh, okay. They were, they were going to bring these breadfruit trees that never, that bread never. Oh, trees never maybe made that it back. was it. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. I think we all kind of know from yeah, the, the title. title yeah, that's the thing. Is, I thought it was interesting that they, they like sort of um, buried it in there. Yeah, even though we know that this is about a mutiny, right? Yeah, on this ship, and therefore right. <laughs> about mutineers. So uh, what happens? Oh, so then we see a shot of um, Byam's home, if I'm not mistaken, and his father uh, Byam is a midshipman. Uh, basically, a rich kid, and his rich father is like, "Oh, it's going to be great. You're going to love." going on the bounty and i've told captain bly to be like extra nice to you and this and that and blah 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 privilege you're a rich kid and this is basically like an educational opportunity for him right yeah and uh because when he gets on the ship not to jump too far ahead he he sort of talks about he and fletcher christian talk about how christian's gonna educate him right right yeah it's he's not there to be a sailor necessarily he's there to learn yeah, stuff. basically the the inner workings of the navy and what have you. This is yeah. probably a step because he's in a wealthy family. This is probably a step towards being either um, something political or a higher up in the navy. Right, right, right. Yeah, this is him basically cutting the line and getting to uh, you know not having to be a full on full on grunt from right the day he's born. Uh, so uh, again, I'm gonna blast through this thing. Let's do it. They get to the bounty. They're getting the ship ready to take off. There's all sorts of guys in all sorts of sailor garb. They're all wearing a lot of stripes and what have you. Then there are the guys, the midshipmen are wearing the the fancy, not quite three corner hats, but almost a little more like uh almost a little more like Napoleon's hat yeah. kind of a deal. You know who was who was one of the sailors in the background? Rick Springfield. James Cagney. Really? <laughs> so James Cagney was on his little sailboat sailing by, I saw them filming, and so he motored on up and said hey get me in this that's great put him in the background (laughs) wow that's hilarious uh so yes so fletcher christian and byam and everybody they're all meeting each other and this and that and everybody's getting ready to have oh we're trying to make the best of it here on the ship and then um a man uh with a peg leg gets brought up by cargo net love that guy and 
he's kind of the ship's surgeon. Yeah. And what did they say his name was? Well, I got confused because I heard two I different also things. got confused. <laughs> there's one that was um, there's one person that they said was a derogatory term that is right. no longer used for gay people. Well, right. some people use it, but they're ales. Doctor Bundle of Sticks. Yes, basically. You know how they call cigarettes in England a fag? Yes, it was kind of like that. You're right. So, um, later in the film, and, and I read that they changed that name for the remake of the film with Marlon oh. Brando. Um, but later in the film, I feel like they call him Dr. Bacchus. Yeah, but it really sounds like on that first introduction. I, and, I, and I looked it up when we were watching it. It does seem that that was the guy's name. Maybe they changed it while they were filming. I don't know. But maybe maybe that was a different guy. I don't. I, I got confused by it. But maybe the microphones in 1935 just there was a little bit of a sound glitch. But it sounds like he says Dr. F. Yeah. Very similar to the scene in The Hangover when they say paging Dr. F uh, when they go to pick up Ed Helms. Mm-hmm. And then his girlfriend breaks his balls because his best friend's – what? Wrong, we're on the wrong get, movie. My get point is I'm trying to get people to realize the thing that they're calling him without <laughs> right. saying it. All right. So then uh, uh, Bly shows up and he is basically the most uh, – can I, can I, I'm sorry. Can I just point do. out that this surgeon with one leg, yeah. surgeon, yeah. comes onto the ship – in a cargo net full of alcohol. His alcohol. Oh, yeah. His and he's alcohol. Pretty... His surgical supply of alcohol. Right. And he's drinking at the time. Oh, he's yes. got a bottle in his hand. He is already drunk. Yeah. <laughs> so it's all right. a lesson for you. If you're going to go on a ship, make sure to keep the doctor drunk and happy. They don't need him that often. It's just a, <laughs> I suppose just that's a true. ship in the 1700s. I mean, yeah, they're all... Totally healthy and fine. The whole yeah, time. limited resources. Yeah, and... super limited resources. I don't even know how they, in those days, put that many people on a ship that small. Like it's yeah. crazy. It's yeah. It's not a. It's not a big ship. No. And I think they make comments to that. Effect. Yeah. So they you know, right away. Um, Byam shows up on the dock and he says, "I'm. Go- I'm. Is that the." Is that the bounty? And the guy's like, "No, no, that's the bounty." And it's like <laughs> you a much stupid idiot. Uh, poor Byam. Poor this whole movie. All right, uh, so then this guy shows up, and he is being, well, Captain Bly shows up. It's pretty clear Captain Bly is just a hard-nosed jerk who prefers abuse over, like, teaching anybody anything. Very pompous, very much like, you know, oh, you you think this? Well, let me flog that out of you. And he's got this guy Morrison who does all his flogging for him. And permanent scowl on his face. Permanent scowl on his face. Scowl is almost too light of a term. It's just like for Captain face, Bly's it's like face. His face is melting from the sides. A he little has bit, like yeah. Caterpillar eyebrows and like a weird, grouchy fish mouth. And even when he talks about something he likes, he frowns. Yeah. Yeah, it's like his face just is just shaped that way. Like Blah. impossible <laughs> of smiling. I don't think it's a. Uh, it's a, a coincidence that Captain Bly's name sounds very close to the bad guy from the 90s cartoon Pirates of Darkwater, who, if I'm not mistaken, was Slythe or something like that. He had a name very much. It was gross. Anyway, this guy comes over on a little dinghy, and he is being flogged across the fleet, which means this dude fouled up so bad, well, according to naval command mm. i forget what was his crime it was something real simple he struck a, a superior officer he struck a superior officer so this guy is being sailed to every ship that they come in contact with in this bay in this bay and every captain is having this guy flogged a dozen times 
So a, a dozen whips from each captain that they meet. Mm-hmm. With a whip that has, what, nine? It's like nine. It's a cat of nine. Is it a cat of nine tails? Okay. Nine. I mean, it had a bunch of dingly in. So whips at the end. Yeah. Oh, gross. See, I felt like I mostly saw Morrison just using that one, like, real short rope thing that he liked. I don't oh, remember like seeing. Yeah, in the end of yeah the with the monkey fist. When the guy's down on the ship, he, like, <laughs> is untangling the little, okay. the little stringy things. It's gross. It's so gross. So... They go to whip this guy, and somebody's like, oh, boy, looks like he's actually dead. Uh, we've flogged him to death before he got to the bounty here, Captain Bly. And Bly's just like, dead Schmed. Give him his 12 flogs. So they literally proceed to beat a dead man uh, because Bly is just that sick, and the British Navy at the time was just that sick. Beating a dead horse. And Yeah. B- but Byam, right? Somebody passes out. I think it's Byam. Yeah, Byam passes yeah. out. Um and then, like, somebody goes to, like, pick him up, and he's like, eh. And, yeah. like, they leave him laying there on the ship. Yeah. And then does does Bly send him to the masthead because of that, or is it something else? Anyway. Uh, it's something else later. later. Yeah. Somewhere along the line. My notes jump to that. Buy him fouls up. So, okay. So, what happens What have you is got? The, there's three um, men who are dealing with um, charts and compasses and courses. I don't know what they're, they're called. Midship. Men. Yeah, the midshipmen, the so navigation. All these that three guys are all together, and none of them seem to know really what they're doing. And I think that's sort of this idea that all three of them are sort of in the same situation as Biam. Like they're right. all right. Right. They're all right? there yeah. for educational um, purposes. Sort of one thing. of them is a smarmy little bastard. He's essentially the Napoleon Dynamite of 1935. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, and so what uh, Biam does is he. Um, without the guy knowing, starts to cut away the rope on his hammock. Oh, right. Play, play a little prank on him. Um, now, when they all get called up to report something, and the little smarmy guy um, sort of tattletales yeah. on the on the dude um, for not knowing his stuff, and uh, Byam sort of speaks out of turn to sort of stand up for his friend and Bly doesn't like the fact that he's speaking out of turn. Right. And so he orders him to go. He orders yet. Oh, no. no he doesn't order no, him yet. Yeah. So he orders him to go back down. Yeah. And they start to go down and he, uh, Byam um, goes in ahead of the Napoleon Dynamite guy, the smarmy guy. And the smarmy guy kicks him in the butt, right? Right. So Byam turns around and gets back out and tries to start a fight with him. And that's when Bly is like, smarmy guy, get back down below. You, Byam, climb to yeah. the top of the mass. He's like, he, all the way to the top? And he's like, yeah. Yeah, he's like, he keeps saying, I'll send you aloft. Right. Yeah, he's like, don't come down until I tell you. Yeah. Right. You can come down. And the storm is rolling in. Now, so Byam goes up there and ties himself to the mast. Um, that's what you got to do, apparently. And... Uh, and the smarmy guy goes down and tries to get into his uh, into his, uh, his hammock. His, his hammock. And Fletcher Christian is down there as well right. at this point. And the hammock breaks and, you know, there's a little kerfuffle. And uh, Fletcher, Fletcher Christian take, tells. He, he asks the the other guy. The handsome guy. The handsome guy to come say out. <laughs> the handsome guy to come out. And he's like, he's like, who did that? And he's like, uh, I did to protect his friend who's already up on the mast. Yeah. And uh, thinking he's going to get a lecture or punishment and Fletcher goes good job yeah yeah Fletcher's glad because he knows that other guy is a chump who's you know throwing around his rich daddy status yeah. and trying to bully people meanwhile and, all of them have gotten seasick already yeah so so poor Byam he's tied to the mast all the way at the top 
there's a storm rolling in and he's just getting beaten by the storm just there yeah. he is exposed maybe he's got a shirt on and some pants yeah but other than that he's just getting hammered on by this storm they're not too far from england at this point so we can assume it's a pretty cold nasty storm in the yeah. you know northern he atlantic or something. Up there, like hanging over the mast Oh, yeah, that's yeah, true. Yeah, like the only thing keeping him there is the rope that, the he, rope tied that he tied around himself. Yeah, and then he winds up being brought down. Uh, Christian orders that he be brought down, right? Yeah, because he's going to die. Yeah, and uh, so he gets him all the way downstairs, out of the storm, into shelter, and then Captain Bly is like, who ordered that man down? Get him right back up there. He doesn't come down until I say he comes down. And so poor Christian has to go back downstairs and say, buy him. You're going aloft again. He Captain's the orders. Coat. Yeah, yeah. The doctor, the doctor gives him his coat, which is very nice. The doctor is, I think, on his first or second round of explaining one of the ways that he lost his leg. We hear several, yeah. It yes. changes every time. It's like the Joker's scars. Mm-hmm. Um, the so, doctor gives him some brandy to take with him. Yeah, he's like, oh, you're yeah. need this. That's helpful. So he gives him brandy and a coat. Byron manages to survive while aloft yet again. And then what the heck happens? Uh... By him sent up to the masthead. Oh, then there's a great big montage of torture and discipline. And one of the fun ones is a guy uh, that we don't really know too much about. Um, His offense is pretty minor. And Captain Bly orders him to be Mm keel-hauled. Which, if you're not familiar with keel-hauling, it's basically they tie a rope around you. Around both arms. Around both arms. They drop you off one side of the boat. The front of the boat. Is it the front and they drag you to the back? Oh, I thought it was just off one side and they drag you no, to the, the other side going that direction anyways yeah, uh, they, yeah. they go from the, the stern to yeah so basically they drag you all the way under the bottom of the boat where i think you're pretty much guaranteed to die yeah i mean while also scraping against wood and barnacles now i remember yeah and i remember when i was in school we read uh treasure island they talk about keel hauling yeah as well and yeah pretty much those barnacles just are essentially just shred you up yeah completely just tear you up i imagine so although when he comes up he has no no wounds no cuts on him i thought he was maybe they had some cuts maybe they shredded him so hardcore that they got down to a layer of perfectly flat skin i remember a guy they just just exfoliated him him. yeah 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 maybe that's it exfoliated exfoliated via keel hauling so i think it's pretty safe to assume he's dead when they drag him up out of the when water they, they say he's dead oh they do yeah, they yeah. Really say he's dead so yeah he's definitely because dead. because uh is that the one they talk about no that's the doctor later who's they talk about something about the shark they don't want i might to, have the that shark later is in the, for the burial oh right yeah, that's right. Like following them, yeah. yeah right yeah that's um uh, yeah i think i have notice of that uh what's fun is when they keel haul the guy to, sh- to shoot the keel hauling scene, um, they use kind of a funny little action figure yeah. that's very obviously fake, yeah. and they drag it under a boat in, you know, essentially a, a fish tank and show it, and it's, uh, you know, it's disturbing enough. True. Let's put it that right, way. Yeah. We don't need any modern-day uh, blood and gore for a, for a keel hauling scene. Where the heck are we? All right, so now Fletcher Christian gets in trouble for stealing cheese. Bly accuses him of stealing cheese. Well, it's not Christian that stole the cheese. I thought Bly accused Christian of stealing the cheese, No, though. no, no, no. That's, uh... I mean, I know Christian didn't steal the cheese. That's coconuts later. So, coconuts. So what happens is, they're like, we got this problem. Somebody's stealing cheese. Two 50-pound wheels of cheese have yeah. disappeared. And the guy who's like, he's like, no, I didn't steal the cheese. 
when we were close to your home, you had me leave the ship and take the cheese to your house and leave it there. And Bly's like, I did no such thing. Right. When clearly he did. Clearly he did. Because you can tell by looking at him, he likes his cheese. And Christian's like, look, maybe you didn't know he was taking them to your house, but clearly the guy didn't steal the cheese. And Bly's like, nope. We're gonna we're gonna whip him, or right whip him. Yeah, I think they actually uh, I think they actually tie him to a rocket ship. And no, they don't do that. They don't have rocket ships in 1787. So. But yeah, I'm pretty sure they flog him um, a lot more than he deserves. Wasn't it something like four dozen or some yeah, crap like, like that? that? It's awful. Yeah. Um, I hate this movie. I'm skipping ahead. No, I don't really hate it. But I kind of hate Captain Bly so much. Absolutely, that's well, poisoning that's a the movie for to the me. actor. Yeah, yeah true. I, it's it's this movie is pretty brutal. It's brutal. It's interesting because it is brutal, um, but it's not like you know when you think of something brutal by today's standards, right? You know, like even like twenty years ago, think about like how brutal a movie like Silence of the Lambs was, yeah, or something like that right? But this movie by today's standards is actually quite tame it's just the ideas are brutal it's primitive it feels yeah. primitive. right because everything is just oh you fouled up we're gonna beat you unmercifully yeah it's not like, it's not so much like gory it's just like holy cow people were treated this way yeah like, that's horrible I, and, and i yeah. think we maybe skipped it there's another moment and it's actually kind of important where there's sort of a group of men one of them is the um, the young man that they enlisted that didn't want to leave his wife. Yeah. Um, and then there's another one. They sort of say at the beginning of the movie that that these men have sort of had two choices. They were either enlisted um, or they were criminals and, and had a choice of either going to prison. And yeah. And there's another man who um, is among them. There's the guy with the tattoo on his chest. There's the kid. And then there's um, this other guy. The guy with the many wives. Who was a thief, I think. Yeah. and Yeah, with the guy with many wives, with two wives. Um, and he gets in trouble for, I think, quote, lying. I don't think he lies. Um, Isn't he the guy that lies about the cheese? No, it's a, that's a smaller guy. That's a oh, smaller okay. Guy. And so this guy also gets, a, gets lashes as well. Yeah. Um, so basically there's a little faction of abused people yeah, forming. And, and that's important. For sure. Faux show. Um, gosh, do they arrive at Tahiti? I think they do arrive at Tahiti pretty soon after yeah, the I cheese mean, hoard. I mean, yeah. And and at this point, um, Fletcher is sort of um, distancing himself from the captain. Right. They have that moment at the dinner table yeah, where... The, the captain has a meal. Bly offers them each cheese. And they all turn and it down. And they all turn it down because they're all like, you're a cheese thief yourself, sir. But it's, We're not going to eat your stolen cheese. But it's on sort of the um, – they're all sort of following suit from Fletcher. Fletcher's the first one. And, yeah. And and ultimately, like, he's like, why should why should we get the cheese when no one else does? Because he, he bans cheese from all of the, the other men. Right. Nobody gets cheese anymore. So – um, so they're sort of like, well, why why should we eat cheese if the other men don't get to eat cheese? Um, because, I don't like cheese anymore. Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. Freaking Captain and so, Bly. And so Bly and Fletcher Christian, who at the beginning of the film, we learned that Bly had, had requested Fletcher specifically to serve under him. Right. And there's actually sort of this thing where I got the feeling that Fletcher didn't want to be there anyways. He, he says, well, that wasn't my – he's like, we're here together again. And, and Fletcher says – 
well, it wasn't my request. And he's like, well, I requested you. Yeah. And it kind of made me think, well, Fletcher wouldn't have requested to be with him because he already knows. Right. He knows that Bly is a monster. He does give him credit at some point in the film where he says, um, he basically says he's a terrible human being, but he's maybe the best sailor I've ever seen. Ah, yes. Touche. I think he, I think Fletcher, you know, Fletcher knows the rules of the Navy. Like he's not, he's not unfamiliar with the punishments that these men are going to get for doing things wrong, but he knows that Bly is taking advantage of the system. Right. Yeah. Bly is pr- he's power hungry. He's yeah, yeah. He's just blindly punishing people for no damn good reason. Yeah. It's probably safe to say he's a, a psychopath. Certainly a sadist. So, definitely a sadist. But yeah, he he's getting off on the punishment. He's getting those those nautical rocks off <laughs> on all this punishment. There is there is another scene that I really loved that's before Tahiti. When they kiss, when Bly and Fletcher kiss. Yeah. When Bly kisses everyone. Blech. So uh, Let me put my lips on you. They get a little cabin cabin fever. They the the wind stopped blowing, right? Oh right. Yeah. And uh and they sent including that guy that got whipped that yeah. I was referring to a little while ago. They send the men um, out into two boats to pull the ship into into wind, right? Essentially, um, and in one one boat is led by Byam, and the other boat is led by the little weasel. Yeah, and uh, the weasel is just cracking his whip into his men. Yeah, and uh, Bly is kind of like, "Use your whip, Byam," and so. Byam sort of waves his whip around in the right. air, but doesn't actually strike his men. And of course, they do end up pulling. You know, yeah. Byam's being much more them. like motivational yeah. right. than punishing. He's, com- he's compassionate, right? Right. He's being a good leader, so as opposed to these other creeps. They they pull the uh, the boat. Let's oh, call man. it a ship. Okay, they pull, I'm just kidding. They pull, they pull the ship into the wind. They get the wind. Blah blah blah. Yeah. And they end up back on the boat, and um, and then the the kid who's away from his wife. Yeah, the new dad comes in. and He's like, they gave me the food for the six of us. It's this, and he holds this like little it, chunk of horse meat. They, right. they tell him it's it's pork. Yeah, but, but it's, it's actually they know horse. it's horse meat. They're like, no, yeah, and, no way. And it's way too little for six men. Right. Especially and, six men who just. Rode a ship, right? And that was sort of their the point. Yeah. Was we just we just did all this work, and that's all they're giving us to eat. Yeah. Um, so they decide to take it. They put it on a hook, and uh, they, they they fish like a I don't know, a big tuna or a sort of catch fish a, or something. I'm pretty know. sure it's a shark. I think they catch a oh, shark. Oh, it was a shark. You're yeah. right. They, they refer to him as the the and shark I, and I think they hunter cut up a real shark on the deck of that ship. Yeah. So they cut up the the shark and they're trying to divvy it up and. And somebody comes up and is like, who had no part in it, and right. demands, who's a higher up, demands that he gets some. And the guy, take the the man that got whipped before that I was talking about, takes the shark and throws it in the guy's face. Well, that yeah. guy is a superior, so he gets in trouble for that um, as well. Yep. They should have mutinied right then, if you ask me. Well, you know, I think there was... There was a possibility. Now, also before Tahiti is the doctor situation, correct? Wait, what's the doctor situation? Our, our friend the doctor dies. He dies before Tahiti? Well, isn't the whole thing with... before? I don't remember. Is it before? I almost don't even want to remember. I guess it's after. You're I right. Think it's it, after. I think it's after. You're right. It's after. 
Oh, boy. They get to Tahiti. Let's get there Let's already. Because okay. holy shnikes. So they've essentially been sailing for maybe a year at this point. Mm-hmm. They get to Tahiti. Bly basically says, um, all right, some of you are going to have to go ashore and start rounding up breadfruit trees to bring on board. Some of you are going to be on the ship making repairs so that we can make the voyage home. Uh, and he basically tells Fletcher Christian, because he's seen that Christian is kind of a... Uh, you know, not exactly happy with Bly's leadership at this point. Well, and he knows that the men will follow Fletcher. Yeah. So he basically says, Fletcher Christian, you're in charge of the ship's repairs. So you don't get to visit the island ever. Right. You get to be stuck on the ship with dudes and wood and, you know, very little else. And Byam. Byam gets to go to the island. Yeah. So his, and fall his, in love with a girl his, and meet Hiti Hiti, the king of the Tahiti. Well, so... um. Byam is supposed to create a, like, Tahitian to English dictionary. Oh, yeah. But he's supposed to come back every night. And so, Hiti Hiti. King Hiti Hiti. The king of the... With the the hairiest, biggest mole you could ever imagine on your arm. Holy cow, that mole. Uh, He... It's a character unto itself. He comes onto the ship to meet them. um, Hey! Yeah, there goes the dog again. So he comes onto the ship to meet them, and, um, and he sort of demands not to Walt. Well, he's barking up Hedy Hedy's yeah. mole. Um, he demands that, that Byam stay on the island. He right. Tells, he tells, and, and of course, Bly is like, ah, I got to do whatever this guy says because we need this stuff from him. Right. And now the king was supposed to come. Now, the original person that came and met Hedy Hedy was um, Captain Cook. Yes. I'm assuming James Cook. Maybe. So, um, and he Are was you told, thinking of James T. Hook? No. Okay. <laughs> um, that uh, the king would come back and return. Right. And if the king wasn't going to return, there'd be a hat. And so Bly's like, go get the hat. And the guy's like, what hat? And he's yeah. like, just go get the hat. So he goes and gets a hat and gives him the hat. Um, and then, of course, Byam gets to come and live on the island for the month or so that they're going to be there getting breadfruit trees and repairing the ship getting laid is what they're doing like you mean with the flowers that's hawaii i'm talking about uh, the guys that get to go to shore all oh. wind up with girlfriends pretty quickly there's even that scene of the of the cook the cook and uh what is it uh this girl's leading him back to her hut by the hand and there's about six to eight children yeah. following her and she's sort of Makes a kind of a, a gestery, you know, says something in Tahiti and gestures a lot. And he basically figures out they are all her children. Yeah, yeah, she's like, These are mine. And she's essentially recruiting him to be uh, yet to, you know, to be a dad of a, a new baby for her. And, and he's uh, like, uh, no. He, he literally <laughs> runs away. Uh, and it's quite funny. So then what else happens? So Byam's working on the dictionary and he talks about um, how they have so many different words and definitions for just a, a, a look something as simple as a look can mean so many different things and uh and he meets tahani he meets tahani we get a pretty good idea what these looks are about what is this crown property oh yes hey well so before they come back and deal with crown property um Hedy Hedy convinces Bly to let Fletcher off the boat. Right, for like a day. Yep. For like an afternoon. Yep, so Fletcher comes out and he meets the other daughter. Oh yeah. Um, her name is something with an M. Mimiti, I think. Mimiti? It sounds right. I didn't write it down. So so 
he meets Mamidi, and they, of course, kind of fall for each other. And he and Bayam and uh, Miyamidi and uh, Tahani, they all go off to... Uh, swap. They do a full swap. No, they just go out and, like, swim. They race each other across the water. And yeah. Hang out on the beach and stuff. And, uh, of eat course... Eat bananas. Eat bananas. And, uh, and then some Tahitian guy comes up, and he says something to... My immediate, my immediate. Oh yeah, that Bly is like, demanding Christian get back to the ship. And so she says something to him, and the guy runs off. And Fletcher's like, "Well, I guess I got to go." And she's like, "No, I told him that uh, he couldn't find you." Nice. So Fletcher can, you know, if he they can't find him, he can't be told that he has to go back. True that, yo. It's a big island. Yeah, plenty of trees. Plenty of trees. Um, Fletcher gets to come back again. Yeah. When they're gonna leave. Yeah. And she gives him a present. She gives him a pair of beautiful pearls. For? Uh, to give to his mom? Yeah. And that's very nice of her. Yeah. And then, long story short, Fletcher, uh, well, Bly, I think, spots him getting the pearls. Does Bly himself or does one of his underlings? I think somebody tells him. Yeah. So when, when the men come back, they've got, like, their bunches of bananas they're bringing on for themselves. Right. And they're like, nope, that's that's property of the crown. Property of and, the crown. Uh, and like, Put no, it this, on the pile. This was a gift. And like all gifts are for everyone that goes into the pile. Yeah. Um, and so, of course, most of the stuff ends up going to Bly. Bly just steals everything. Because he's a jerk. I wish they would have just cut his head off in the first frame of the movie. Wouldn't have had to sit through this thing. And then they then when Fletcher gets back on the boat. Yeah. Wait, wait but the pig. Oh, yeah. There's a sad moment with the pig. Where, uh, where a guy has something that was a gift for himself. And it was a pet. Pig. Oh yeah, it was a cute little pig. And they're like, "Oh, that'll look good on the captain's table." Yep, they're so like, they're gonna cook that like, pig. When he says it's uh, Monday Wash. It's not, yeah, oh it's yeah, yeah, and yeah. They're like, "His name is Monday Wash." And he was like, "No, no, <laughs> he's a pet. His name's Monday Wash." <laughs> like I wasn't lying. Oh, <laughs> Monday um, Wash. So Fletcher gets on the back on the boat, and they're like, "On your watch, twenty coconuts went missing." And yeah. He's like, well, well the also, what are you talking about? <laughs> and also, Bly demands that he hand over the crown property. Well, that was so he goes. He goes pearls. He goes. These coconuts went missing, and, and Fletcher's like, "It wasn't me." And the, are you calling me a thief? And all this stuff. And then he's like, "Well, you are a thief." And he's like, "How am mm. I a thief?" And he goes, "You have property of the crown." Ooh. And that's when he brings up the pearls. Right. It's the pair of pearls you got from your loving girlfriend that are supposed to be a gift to his mom. But not in Captain Bly's ship. Captain Bly demands that he hands over the pearls. Mm-hmm. Do you remember what Fletcher says to him? Remember, Probably stuff property for... of the crown, yeah. not the property of Bly. Yeah. Right. Guess what falls on deaf ears? Yeah. That. I want to real quick talk about the the Tahiti stuff. Let's hear it. You know where they filmed that? Mexico. Tahiti. Really? Awesome. Yeah, so they shot the movie Tahiti off the islands of Catalina. Cool. Santa Barbara area. Um, but the Tahiti stuff, they filmed in Tahiti. And those nice. are real Tahitians. All right. There. Um, they shipped nine camera kits. Wow. Four large generators. 50 techs that cast literally tons of film. Wow. They shot like... Hundreds and hundreds. Like, I think they shot almost 700,000 feet of film or something like that. Good night, Irene. Um, And it was really important. The reason why they did that is really important to 
uh, Frank Lloyd that they have some authenticity to the to the whole thing. So they that's why they shot out on the water and all right. so were all of the Tahitians like even the ones who have speaking parts are they all Tahitian or are some of them yeah are um, the actors I had this saved for a little bit later but um so the you know all those outrigger canoes yeah they built 500 of those things Whoa. for this movie um they employed 2500 native Tahitians for the film wow that's crazy uh, probably your answer Twenty five hundred. Um, I just woman, meant like, is that all the background actors, and then the like three or four Tahitians I have lines? Twenty five hundred. I mean, there weren't twenty five hundred people with lines, so yeah, I would assume all the background people were. No, no, no. But I'm saying, were the people with lines also Tahitian? I believe so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I still don't think Tahini was Tahina Tahini, uh, played by Movita. Um, I believe she was. Oh, Movita. She went on to marry someone very famous. Would you like to guess who it was? Is it anybody in this movie? Nope. Well, not this movie. Is it anybody from another Navy movie? Yes. Oh. Frank Lloyd? <laughs> no. That's a great answer, though. But no. Is it an actor? It is an actor. From another Navy Play movie. Play along, Beasters. Play along. Movita. Married to... Got some dead air here. Douglas Fairbanks. No. No, he would have been way older. Later on, she married Marlon Brando. Oh! Who played Fletcher Christian in the remake of this film. Wow. Interesting. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Way to go, Movita. Yeah, what up, Movita? All right, so anyways, you were... uh, So so they're leaving. Yeah, and shortly... Well... There's something with the breadfruit trees that they talk about just before they leave. Right. The, uh, the scientist, I guess. Botanist. Um, uh. Botanist something. Basically, one of the jerks who's just in Bly's pocket and, you know, accepting all of Bly's gifts that he's withholding from the other men. Talks about how the breadfruit trees are going to need all this water. And Bly's like, well, that's simple. We'll just cut the rations to the men. Well, the- so that we can get the breadfruit trees there alive. Who cares if some men die? I think he sort of said... That the breadfruit trees required more water than the ship could even carry. Yeah, he did. And he was like, we're going to get these trees there in perfect condition, every single one of them, and we'll just cut all the men's water rations to like a quarter. Awful. Yeah. And he kind of says, like, that's that's the mission. That's the whole goal of this trip. The men aren't the mission. Yeah, right. Right. To Bly, they're just prisoners. Right. They're just... They are essentially prisoners. Yeah. It's awful. There's a mutiny. Well, I that, forget exactly what kicks it off. Well, so but those three guys are like, yeah, we're squirrely and we're sick of this. Well, so they um, they're gonna punish someone. This might have been. Well, this wasn't the shark part. This might have been the shark part. They're gonna might punish someone, and they're like, every all the all the officers need to be up here. Get the doctor. Yeah, and they're like, the doctor's way too sick to come up, and he's like, get the doctor, and so That's they go right. down. Uh, flip, uh by him goes down it right i think by so. him or fletcher Pretty one sure. of those two goes down and they see him and they i think it's by him and he's like the doctor tries to get up and he's like no, no no just stay here so he comes back up and says i told the doctor to you know stay in stay. bed so the doctor comes Die up comfort. anyways because yeah. he knows that that's not gonna fly yeah with and he dies Bly. and they're oh, like boy. and they all look at Bly like you made him this guy come up here and you killed him yeah um and then and then uh that's when they start talking about well there's a shark that's been following the ship, Fletcher. We need a gun so we can scare off the shark. Maybe I could kill the shark that's on the ship at the same time. That's what he says, and Fl- yeah. And Fletcher's like, you know what? No. 
Um, what hap- Something happens to Fletcher that just sends him over. He goes, there's two men being held in the bottom of the boat who I think tried to not get back on the boat when they left Tahiti. No, no, no. They, so they were caught as, um, as, uh, what is it? Um, mutineers? Not mutineers, no. people that tried deserters. to... Deserters. Deserters. Yeah, they, they, were tried to... as, they didn't actually try to desert, and they say that when they get back on the boat. They were never allowed off the boat the entire time that they were there. Right. And so before they left, they just wanted to see the island, so they snuck out to go see the island. But they didn't actually want to desert. Okay. They, they did want to come back to the boat, but they were caught. You're yep. right. Right, right. So they're, they're down there, and they're, you know, the... Somebody's down there getting water... And they want water because they, you know, they probably have not been given any water in a while. And mm-hmm. a fight ensues, and Fletcher hears it and comes in, and he's like, "Whoa, what the what the heck, guys? What the heck, guys?" Yeah, I'm just trying to remember exactly why Fletcher agrees to the mutiny. I think it's because the... prisoners are being mistreated, like they're being beaten because there's, they want water. Yeah, but there's one last straw, and he's like, "See, I think it's the crown property." And um, there is the moment where uh, where. Uh, Bly comes back up, and he's like, uh, oh, you're on watch again, Fletcher. I better count the coconuts. That might have been it. That might have been it, yeah. He's basically saying, yeah. And he's like, you guys wanted to to shoot the shark. Let's do it. Yeah. Oh, they should have done it on day one. So they they round up all of the – they fight and round up all of Bly's supporters. They get every weapon they can, knives, spars, what have you. Um. Now the midshipmen don't know what exactly what's going on. They're doing, you know, all of a sudden these men barge in and, and knock them out and leave them unconscious yeah. in their rooms. Buy him and his handsome friend. Yeah, in the quarters. But they round up the weasel guy. Oh yeah. Um, and they're like, you know, if you're a supporter of Bly, you're getting on this ship. And they're like, no, let's kill, let's kill him, kill, kill, kill. They definitely want to kill Bly. Yeah. And Fletcher says, we're not killing anybody. We're going to put him on the boat. We're going to give him. 20 days of supplies or whatever and uh and we're gonna let them try and we're gonna let the sea deal with them yeah let them right. let them fight the sea and, uh, and boy do they it's interesting to note by the way um charles lawton yeah Bly, deathly afraid of the water and was seasick almost the entire really shit. oh geez that explains so much of every expression on his face well or lack of yeah. i mean he still managed to pull off a excellent performance yeah I wouldn't have guessed that he was seasick that whole time. Wow, way to go, Charles Lawton! So they put him in the boat and and start to sit, start to sail away from him, and they're all looking out off the back of the boat. And one guy wants to shoot him. You know, the the shark killer wants to shoot him. Yeah, and uh, and Christian stops him from kill, you know killing him. And Bly's like, "We're gonna make it back to England, and we're gonna get you, and all this stuff." Um, whereas the rest of the men on the boat are like, "We're going to our doom." Yeah, um, Bly's gonna kill us all. Probably by starving us to death while he eats. Yeah. That munch. Where do Christian and the mutineers go? They go back, right? Back to Tahiti to fall back in love and hang out with King Hiti Hiti and all sorts of fun stuff. He wakes up and has a confrontation with Christian. And uh, and he's like, I I need to go with Bly. And they're like, they're already gone. Yeah. Because he's sort of torn between his friendship with with Fletcher and uh, and his loyalty to the Navy. Right. Um, but ultimately, like, the loyalty to the Navy, is that's like penalty of death. So, um, you know, he's got to 
get back to Bly. Well, of course, Bly's already gone. So right. they have no choice but to go back with the men. And they sort of make an agreement with the other people who didn't want to mutiny. Right. If you don't get in our way, we're going to let you live. Right. And when they eventually come for us, we'll attest to the fact that you guys stayed loyal. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, so the whole bunch of them go to Tahiti and live it up. Yeah. For quite Bananas, a while. Bananas. Or. Babes. At least, uh, at least a year. At least a year. Like. Roughly a year, yeah. Because I think, um, what is it? Bly comes back after them. He makes it to land. First, he's sailing his tiny boat with, yeah. what, 20-some guys on Something it? Like crammed into this thing. And they keep showing him writing in the captain's log. And that they keep and, rations and water. And yeah. Stuff. But also, he's also always aware of the uh, longitude and latitude, yep. which I'm assuming he can only know from, like, looking at the stars. Yeah. So he is that good of a sailor. And he figures out that they must be headed toward this piece of land. I think it was called like Timar or Tamir or something like that. They went to um, – I have that actually here. Let me, I let don't. Let me take a look. I think, I think in these scenes too, like it – Timor. Timor. Yeah, which is the Dutch East Indies. Ooh. Welcome. What were you going to say? <laughs> I was just saying that. I think in these scenes it becomes evident that – um, Bly knows that if he treats the men in this small boat the same way he normally treats the men under him, he's not going to make it alive. That's like, probably he true. Is, yeah. He rations to everyone equally, and, and he, he gives them like speeches and prayers. And he refuses and, to let one of them die. One of them right. says, give my stuff to the men who are younger and have more of a life. Yeah. And he's like, nope, I'm the captain. You're going to live. Yeah, so Bly is finally becoming a quasi good guy. But it's almost Bly. it's it's only to save his own skin. Really. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, it's only because he knows he won't make it out alive if he isn't. They might very well eat him. Right. Right. Which sounds probably like the worst guy you could possibly eat. So they make it to Timor, and they're saved. And the men, you know, whatever of them haven't died of starvation and dehydration or. Are going to be in good hands now. But Bly then sets sail on the Pandora, knowing full well that Fletcher Christian and company are probably living it up on Tahiti, mm -hmm. you know, having fire dance ceremonies and, and maybe inventing surfing for all we know. And so uh, the Pandora sails to Tahiti to capture Fletcher Christian and the rest of the mutineers. And as soon as the ship is in sight, somebody warns Christian, and Christian's like, yo, dudes. The, you know, uh, uh, we're busted. Let's get on the bounty. Let's go as fast as we possibly can. You guys that we agreed were loyal to the Navy, you stay here. You'll be fine. You know, it'll all work out in the wash that basically, oh, if you stayed to be captured, you must be loyal. Mm -hmm. They take off on the bounty. Somewhere, somewhere in here. And Fletcher um, and uh, Bayam sort of really have that nice recon reconciliation. Right. On Christmas Day. On Christmas Day. Yeah. That's yes, at right. the uh at their hut with Fletcher's new baby. New baby. Yeah. That the men Aww. the men carve a little sailboat for the baby. Oh, that's yeah. right. That was pretty cute. Oh, his cute little baby daughter with a new sailboat. So the bounty leaves, but those other guys stay behind. Yeah, Byam and a few other guys, they stay behind as loyal British Navy men. Um, the very model model of modern, moder I forget how the HMS Pinafore does it. 
Uh, boy, what happens? By him and the other prisoners, they join Bly. And Bly, what does he do? Does he welcome them home like heroes? Like loyal heroes? Nope. No. Throws them in jail. Claims that, uh, you know, that they're just as guilty as the mutineers. Yep. And, uh, you know, they'll they'll be, I don't know if it's called a court-martial. In, in, they're going to hang in, from the yard arm is what he says. But, yeah, he's basically saying, like, yo, you guys are uh, you're going to be tried. You're going to be found guilty as mutineers. And you're going to pay is what you're going to do. It's oh. kind of like if you're loyal, you wouldn't have let them leave Tahiti on the bounty. Like, oh, I remember you would have kept the, them there until we got there. One of the big things that uh, set Fletcher off, I just remembered. What was it? They, he made him sign a forged log of where of like how much of certain things were there and he was oh. like this doesn't account because you've taken stuff right. i'm not gonna sign this and he forces him to sign it under penalty of uh right freaking captain bly um does the pandora make it all the way back to england the pandora no it doesn't so there's a shipwreck yeah um now the the hold that they put them in yeah now, you know this is a true story right yeah okay you know, just like the Martian. Yeah, yeah. So, do you know what they called the hold? Yeah, it's funny. What? Uh, on the Pandora? The actual name for it? Pandora's Box. The Box. Ooh. Pandora's Box. Pandora's Box. And the, so they sail the Pandora to a planet inhabited by the Navi, where they mine for unobtainium. And that planet they name after the ship, Pandora. What? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> the Pandora wrecks in a big storm or something. And because, the men barely escape, yeah. Because Bly is intent on catching the bounty. Like, they don't turn back and just they, oh, yeah, they wreck right. on the reef. He, cha- he the chases reef. the bounty and like, like, causes them to wreck. You Bad remember, idea. You can hear the guy measuring how many fathoms down the, the, re- the reef is. Yeah. Like 20 fathoms, 10 fathoms. And the other guys are like, dude, we're, this ship is in bad shape. We got to turn back. And he's yeah. like, no way. We're not going back without these mutineers. He says, he says we'll either get Fletcher or we'll sink the ship. Is yeah. And yeah. he's right. They sink so the, the ship. The ship breaks open at, in the hold. And so the the box, Pandora's box, is taking on water. Yeah. Uh, Byam and, and the other prisoners are chained up down there, and they're getting flooded while everybody else is abandoning ship. And then Bly uh, decides to send somebody down to free them. Yeah, when it's almost too late. Yeah, well, not to free them, but to too late for make sure they remain captured and alive. So... Byam manages to get out. A few other guys manage manage to get out, and uh, eventually they somehow make it back to England, probably by boat. The other midshipman, Byam's friend, yeah, dies. the handsome one, dies in the process. Oh boy. Oh man. So they make it to England. Um, the trial happens, right? And then later we see what happens with Christian and the bounty. So Byam's on trial. All of these, you know, highfalutin British Navy guys are asking him this, that, and the other thing. And then they basically say, uh, you know, okay, you're excused from this room. We're going to decide your fate. And somebody tips by him off. And they're like, if the there's going to be a dagger on the table. And what is it? If it's, if the, if it's if pointing it's, towards you. If it's horizontal, you. Then, it's, then you're not guilty. If it's pointing at you, vertical, you're guilty. Then you're guilty. So he walks in and it's pointing at him. But he's not quite doomed. He manages to make an argument for himself. And against Bly. Well, and I think against he kind of, Bly. Yeah, he kind of is like, you know what, I'm I'm going to be convicted anyway. I might as well go out saying what I really feel. Right. Well, they ask Bly, too, like, why do you think the men don't follow you? And he's like, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and they're they, kind of like, mm. 
Gotta yeah. be some reason, like. The, and that you can tell the men. Um, one of them is uh, Nelson, right? Isn't one of them like Horatio Nelson or something like that? Oh, like they sort of imply that there's like these famous right cook is there. So like these famous British sails, they're uh, navy men, yeah, uh, sailors are all sort of the head. These admirals or whatever are all yeah. the head of this this court martial. And you can tell that these men have no respect for Bly. Right, because yeah. they probably are well aware of his reputation. Yeah. And, and now like, it's... I don't know, I don't know. They look at each other and just kind of like... Mm. Yeah, and now, you know, his abusive behavior has finally come to bite him in the Bly. I mean, in the butt. In his Bly butt. So, Bayer manages to not get uh, executed. Mm-hmm. And then he even gets uh, restored to duty as a midshipman. But before we see that... We see Fletcher Christian on the poop deck of the bounty talking about, check it out, boys. There's Pitcairn Island. Mm -hmm. We are going to crash this boat and settle on that island and live free for the rest of our lives. Because if you want to do that, 1787, it's a time when, you know, you pretty much already know how to live on the land back in those days. There was no electricity yet. There weren't even bicycles yet. Well, and they had, there might be bicycles. They had natives sure. to the other island with them, right? So it's not yeah. like yeah. So it's not like it was going to be too difficult. So they're just like, yo, there it is, Pitcairn Island. Let's become uh, Pitcairners, Pitcairnians. It's hard <laughs> to say. Pitcairnites. Pitcairnish. The Pitcairnish Martians. Uh, so yeah, boom, and then they show uh, a pretty cool scene of the ship not quite wrecking. Yeah, kind of. But they indeed took a full-size, uh, uh, you know, tall ship and sailed it into some really rough waters right there off the shore. But I feel like they didn't show it actually wreck at all. Now, I don't know that it's related to this scene, but they right. did capsize a boat accidentally and killed a cameraman and two crew members. Oh, oh Jiminy Jaminy. Yeah, making this film. That sea is uh, dangerous. That's yeah. worse than uh, gone fishing. Uh, <laughs> nice. You've heard about that one? No, but I just, I just the fact that you referenced Gone Fishing is the, the movie Gone Fishing okay. with uh, with uh, Danny Glover and mm-hmm. Joe Pesci. Mm-hmm. Not a terribly successful movie about some yeah. middle aged guys who go fishing. Uh, a man died in one of the stunts making that movie. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, so that's Michael Bay film. Is it Michael Bay? No, I was saying it's like a Michael Bay. Oh, okay. Yeah, he gets people killed on his sets. Yikes. So, uh, stuntman, God bless you. One of the James Bonds, somebody got killed. Skyfall, I think. Really? Somebody got killed. Oh, no. Well, and now, so, those, you know, Mutiny on the Bounty joins that horrible, uh, horrible, uh, uh, list of people getting killed trying to make a movie. So, yeah, um, so they crash it on the rocks. They crash it on the rocks. They settle Pitcairn Island, and then it cuts back to England. Byam is, is being put on a new ship with a new captain. And uh, everybody's real happy to meet him because they probably heard about how, you know. The he... captain's nice to him, too. Yeah. Yeah, he, he basically makes a big speech about how the the system is flawed for the right. Navy right now. Like, that they're treating free men right. like slaves. Yeah. Like, the sailors on these boats. Like, some of them are prisoners, yes, but some of them are just enlisted men who are, are free men right. in England. Like, yeah, And being... why are they being treated so poorly, like, basically? Yeah. Um, that's a darn good question. And we, this, and that mutiny on the bounty was what changed, you know, it, it caused them to reform their, mm-hmm. their horrible rules. How long do you think it took them to make this film? Probably. I mean, if they went to Tahiti and took all that stuff, I'm sure it was 
a while. I mean, they didn't sail there like in the... No, I know, I'll but... say two years. Two years. Just Whoa. like the, the voyage was supposed to take. Wow. Two years. Two million dollars to make this film. That's a lot. Two million nineteen thirty-five dollars. Yeah. That's I mean, a that's whole even, lot of money. That's even still a mainstream movie it's a lot of now. Coffee. It's right. not like a low-budget film. Right. That's essentially Avengers 1 and 2 combined. Yeah. yeah. No, maybe not, but... Um, that's a lot of money for those days. Yeah. yeah. So there are there, now people have been removed from Pitcairn Island since yeah. then. Um, they went to, they resettled them on Norfolk. Norfolk All right. Norfolk. Um, which was a penal colony oh. at one point. And then people went back. Basically the, they, the island was very, really small. Um, the population grew to about 200 people and that was too many for the island. Wow. That's how small the island was. Holy shnikes. Uh, so some people went to Tahiti. Some people went to, eventually, they moved back, went to Norfolk. Um, about 40, there's about 40 people that live back on Pitcairn now. Cool. And about half of them um, trace their roots to Fletcher Christian and wow. eight of the sailors. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Pretty awesome indeed. That is Mutiny on the Bounty. There it was, folks. Holy um, cow. It's worth watching once, but it's going to make you angry. That movie made oh, me yeah. angry. Sure. I fell asleep about 47 minutes in. Angry is a good thing for, you know, if, if a movie makes you feel an emotion that's as, as intense as anger, that's a good thing. Yeah, I, I think suppose that's true. I think that movie is doing its job very well. Like, it's right. it's not a pleasant movie to watch, but that's kind of the intention, I think. it's. Yeah, there's a few other movies in our bucket that I know are going to make you angry. Get ready. Wonderful. They're great, though. They better be. I think Mutiny on the Bounty was great. I, I really enjoyed the film. I, again, I'm with you. I don't know that I need to see it a bunch of times. It kind of falls in line with some of those other ones. If somebody I knew hadn't seen it and they really, really wanted to watch it, yeah, I probably would go would sit through it again. Um, not tomorrow. Not me, man. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'd keel haul them. Um, then they'll be keeled. <laughs> that was so me. cheesy. That was me puking at the thought of keel. Well, welcome to be the right thing, Des. <laughs> welcome to my life with you. Hi, oh. So, <laughs> so uh, should we should we uh, draw some movies? For, oh, should we talk about what our our December announcement is? Well, sure. So our December thing is kind of like in October. We're yeah. going to do a themed month, and Why we are not? going to do holiday films. Holiday we had a films. big list of films, and we're going to draw those two of those films. Now, we're going to do two podcasts, so four films total. Um, and we're going to draw, draw some films. There are films, um, there are some films that we have both seen. We're kind of breaking that rule right now. Yeah, because holiday films, I mean, there aren't really uh, all that many. But we also thought... Well, there are also, like, you've seen them all. <laughs> yeah. And I think and I think that there, we sort of thought, well, if we draw some films that are well-known films, that's actually kind of cool because then we can talk about things that maybe people don't know about these films that they've seen a million times. True. And it's going to be easier for people to find them. So Also right. true. So without further ado... Um, Do you want to reach into the bucket first? Um, I thought maybe you and uh, and Desi could draw oh, okay. for them. So why don't feel, you go first, Steve? I'm the priv- I feel privileged. Um, yeah, so... Go ahead, okay. All righty. I want to dig deep. I want to dig deep down into the bucket. What's Wes doing in his phone while I dig? 
Don't worry. You're really digging in there, Steve. I want to make sure. Oh, man. Steve, what you got there, buddy? I got the ref. All right, the ref. Desi, do you want to draw one? Um, Yeah, I'll be slightly less <laughs> Why would you less time? here. <laughs> All right, what you got, Desi? Uh, I mean, I think Steve mixed them up pretty well for me. Um, I have Home Alone. All right. Mm. The Ref and Home Alone. Two 90s super hits. <laughs> super hits. Super uh, hits. Mega blockbusters. I I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if The Ref was really all that successful. No, I don't know. I don't know if that many people have seen The Ref. Um, but that's great. So hopefully. Yeah, I, don't, I don't think I've seen that. So The right. Ref's a fun one. I think it's on Netflix right now, yeah. too. So if you're listening, you can watch The Ref right now. One of my, my early uh, Dennis mm. Leary one of my pieces of expo- early exposures to Dennis Leary. Oh, really? And Kevin Spacey. I, this funny. might be the first movie I ever saw Spacey in. I didn't even know. I didn't even know who Kevin Spacey was until The Usual Suspects. Oh, yeah. And then I was like, and then I had gone back and watched The Ref again. I was like, oh yeah, he's in the in this there movie The Ref. I just, yeah. He has one of my favorite lines in that movie, which is it it's 18th that? century French Huguenot. Okay, let's not spoil it before we get to it. <laughs> it's just that one. That is a good line. It's funny. Watch for that line when you watch the movies. Um, so I'm sure you're gonna be able to find Home Alone. I'm sh- absolutely sure you're going to find The Ref um, probably on Netflix. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I saw it on there already this um, week. So get to watching these holiday films. Um, happy holidays, everybody. Um, happy holidays. I don't know if I'm allowed to sing that. I mean, he so many of those sing for Christmas carols. Seconds, are, so I think we're okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. So that that's it. That'll thank, do it. Thank uh, you for listening. Thanks, Desi, for joining us. Um, can, I, uh, can I plug my new project? Absolutely. Yeah, go ahead and plug your project. I am uh, just starting a new vlog Ooh, on a, YouTube. A video blog. Yes. Uh, about um, fibromyalgia. It's short. The first one just went up. It'll be up for a few days by the time this So hits. serious. And uh, it's serious, but it's like three minutes long, and it's just just uh, you know informative, but just kind of about daily life. Where can they find that? Um, on my YouTube channel, which is uh, Blueprint Betty, and okay. that is also my Twitter. All right, all right. Blueprint Betty, learn about fibromyalgia. Wes, what's your Twitter? Movie Hippo at Movie Hippo. And then what's my Twitter? At Stephen Nohowood. And then what's our Twitter? At V- VTRT movies. Oh yeah! So if you want to tweet at us, tweet at us. Yeah, either I, one of those. I and tweet at Blueprint Betty too. I gotta be honest. I love it when people are tweeting at us. It it's makes, fun. It makes me really happy. Yeah. Um, we've gotten some great comments and some, some suggestions from people. Um, please keep them coming. We like we like the interaction. So um, it's yeah. nice to know you're there. We've been getting some some really positive feedback about the show. Been picking up a lot of listeners lately. A lot of new subscribers. I like the sound um, of that. Yeah. It's been it's been a pretty great journey so far um hello and thank you to um our listeners our viewsters in england england we've got viewsters in england um, and it, i just went and talked so all this fancy. trash about the english navy italy hello uh, <laughs> oh, cool. um uh russia we've got viewsters in russia uh yeah germany wow deutschland guten tag whoa so yeah so uh, thanks for listening, everybody, especially people all over the world. That's really cool. And uh, we look forward to talking to you some more. Watch Home Alone. Watch The Ref for next time. And that's it. Bon Cinema. <laughs>